Looking good, Kurt? Yep. All right. I will unmute. Good. All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the September 28th meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Planning Commission. Um, before I go any further, I'd like to ask Becky Pepper to give us the particulars for our hybrid meeting tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager, and joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Drew Bealby, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. We'll work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. I have a few housekeeping items for the hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and on cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting, and when you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Um, we'll go ahead and start with our communications. Um, do we have any written communications to receive from the public? All communications were included as part of your packet. Thank you. Um, do we need to receive any written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? None this evening. Thank you. Um, do we need to receive uh, written action of any waiver request determinations made by the city engineer? Also none this evening. All right. Uh, do any commissioners need to disclose ex parte communications? Yes, Commissioner Rexford. So I had a conversation with uh, the applicant on our third item tonight on building on Pennsylvania Street a few weeks ago. Um, walked through the uh, the project plan that they'd had. Um, there wasn't anything in that conversation or any of the material shared that's not a part of the packet today. Thank you. Anyone else? Seeing none. Any declaration of abstentions from specific agenda items this evening? Seeing none, um, now's the point in the meeting where we allow general public comment. If any member of the public would like to comment on something that is not part of the agenda this evening. Is there any member of the public online or in person that needs to comment on something other than what is on the agenda this evening? Seeing none, um, we will proceed with then with our regular agenda. So our first item tonight is to consider approving a preliminary plat for Redemption Hill subdivision uh, for a variance. The staff planner is C.C. Riley. Good evening, commissioners. C.C. Riley. Planner one with the Planning and Development Services Department. As stated, uh, this is a preliminary plat proposal to combine four platted lots and the unplatted property nearby, all of which is currently under the same ownership and parceled as one property located at 802 West 22nd Terrace. The platted lots are parceled and developed as a single lot with an existing church, Redemption Hill Church, at the western half of the site. The eastern half of the property is an empty field which has never been platted, thus the reason for this proposal and why it has been raised to a major subdivision. I forgot, actually, once like I'm going to screen share, I have a little presentation. <laughs> Following tonight's meeting and your consideration. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Staff will work with the applicant to receive and review the second portion of the major subdivision process, the final plat. 
documents. The final plat document will be reviewed administratively by staff and the planning director and recorded at the Douglas County Register of Deeds. Because there are easements proposed for dedication, the final plat will be considered by the city commission for their acceptance of easements. The subject property is zoned RS7, single dwelling residential district. The applicant has indicated that there is no change proposed in the existing land use, religious assembly, neighborhood institution. If approved, the applicant has indicated interest in expanding the existing church and or expanding the parking lot into this area where the existing open field currently is. However, these proposals would be subject to site planning standards of the land development code and are not currently being reviewed by this preliminary plat proposal. The proposed 2.08 acre lot satisfies the density and dimensional standards of the RS7 district. However, the site is located at the termination of two streets, West 22nd Terrace and West 22nd Street. To give a brief history of the site, please see figure three and four on page four of the staff report, as well as in front of you on this presentation. This shows the 1960 and 1977 zoning map of the area. These maps indicate that when the area was originally platted in the 1960s, 22nd Terrace had always planned to be a dead end street. And sometime between the 60s and 70s, 22nd Street was also shown as terminating at this site. Per section 2810E2II of the Land Development Code, any existing or platted street that terminates at the boundary line of a proposed subdivision shall be continued into the proposed subdivision in such a manner as to provide street connection to adjoining land and streets within the proposed subdivision or local streets may terminate in a cul-de-sac if an existing environmental feature dictates the design. If approved, the variance will be noted on the final plat. The city engineer determined that the existing environment does not require through street connection. The city engineer supports a variance from this section and has approved a method of alternative compliance through the addition of public access easements of the termination of both streets. This public access easement requires city commission acceptance and would be developed as a part of the parking lot once the site plan is approved. The remaining variance criteria and staff analysis can be found in the staff report. Staff did receive public comment on this proposal. Most comments received were general inquiries as to what was being proposed there was a formal letter in opposition of the variance submitted and included in your agenda packet. Additionally, another written public comment was received expressing concern regarding stormwater and traffic control. However, that was received after the public comment deadline and therefore cannot be included in your packet tonight. The opposition to this proposal has primarily been in regards to future development of the site and the applicant submitted a concept plan seen in front of you and in your packet for the purpose of showing fire truck circulation. However, it should be noted that this concept has not been reviewed against the site planning standards of the land development code. and is not an accurate depiction of what the site may look like as a result of the preliminary plat proposal. Impervious surface calculations, buffer yard requirements, and article nine of the land development code will all be applicable to the site and would need to be reviewed against the site plan once submitted. With that, I'll wrap up with staff recommendation to approve both the preliminary plat and the variance for PP 2200248 and note that I believe the applicant Dean Grobe and the property owner were intended to be here tonight. Thank you, Cece. Yes, the um, applicant uh, presentation, Dean Grobe. 
good evening, Commissioners Dean Grobe, Grobe Engineering. Um, it's been several years since I've been here and it's good to see some new faces. So um, I think CC did a, a good job of kind of explaining everything to you. Um, I think as far as the preliminary plat itself, it's pretty straightforward of just a piece within the middle of the town that's never been uh, platted and to move forward with anything. The development code says it has to be platted and so pulling all the parts and pieces together and making one lot for the church is the first part. Uh, I'd, I'd like to speak mostly to the, the variance um, and I apologize in the old days we had a, uh, I brought a couple uh, photo or uh, figures and I, I sent them to CC and maybe she can help me. One was a uh, looking on the city website of um, the 1966 um, historical air, uh, aerial draw, uh, uh, images uh, basically showed the church much similar to what it is today other than they had made an expansion to the west but the the parking lots and everything was there so it's kind of been in that situation uh, for quite some time uh, the, the, as she mentioned the code requires either be willing to extend, extend the streets on further through your property or dead in them in a cul-de-sac. Um, and, and CC, I guess if you could put up the second drawing, uh, what we looked at to provide a true-to-life cul-de-sac at the end of both those streets, which shows up in the, in the diagram, would significantly cut into the, the church's property uh, with both the right-of-way requirement you know, a cul-de-sac bulb, and then the uh, one, a 15-foot parking setback, and then two, a 25-foot um, building setback. So it, it would significantly, you know, take a lot of the church's property and the concept of trying to get some additional parking because their um, parish has grown and got a lot more people and they don't have enough parking. And uh, and I'm sure at this point, based on their their seats, that they would not meet code uh, for the number of required parking spaces, uh, that they're significantly under that. And so that they've come to the point of we have to do something. Um, it's, it's great that they're growing and the church is big enough. They just don't have the parking. And uh, there's a parking lot to the south uh, that doesn't belong to them that they've been able to use. You see cars parking in the street. They've even had to use the Pizza Hut parking lot just because they have to, you know, when people want to come to the church, they got to park somewhere. So this whole process is that. And again, the um, requirement for the, the cul-de-sacs, which haven't been there for, you know, the last photo, as I mentioned, was 66, so we're 56 years ago and no cul-de-sacs have ever been in there or anything. And what we've done to offset that is guaranteed a public access turnaround in the drives that meet the fire code that would be a hammerhead type turnaround uh, in lieu of a cul-de-sac. Um, and with that, whether it be cars or anything else, would still have that right to turn in. So they can't just block the parking lot off and say, hey, you can't come in. No, they, they've agreed to provide that access. So the solid waste and fire department have a uh, safe means of turning around. So, um, you know, that in essence is the, uh, the variance and why we requested it. And as I showed, you know, it's, it could be 25, 30, 40 parking spaces that they would lose if the cul-de-sacs were required. And so it you know, almost defeats our purpose of, you know, how much is to be gained if you're going to lose 40 to gain some. So, uh, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, 
And if I've missed something or incorrectly spoke, please, please feel free to scream out. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Is the applicant also here? That it, does the applicant want to speak, or are you just speaking for the applicant? Uh, yes, and and they may be uh, online. Um, okay. uh, we spoke today, and so they were aware. And I, I guess I didn't talk late, so I'm not sure where they might be. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Then then we'll move to um, public comment uh, for this item. Um, so if you are in person and want to comment on this item, please come to the podium and state your name. Um, we'll start with people in person, and then we'll move um, to anybody who might be online for public comment. Anybody want to in person speak? No? How about online? Do we have anybody online who would like to speak? I'm looking at... Yes, please go ahead. Yes. Have, uh, it's a three-minute comment period. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, so I, I'm a property owner. I live nearby the church. I submitted a letter. I, ho I hope you all have had time to, re to review it. Um, in principle, you know, I, I, I just want to be able to, to walk around and ride my bike around the neighborhood with my daughter safely. And uh, approving this variance will enable a certain will enable more parking in the neighborhood that will go through neighborhood streets. Um, it's already uh, overly busy as is. Um, so this is really um, just my experience here would be incompatible with the uses of the neighborhood. Uh, you know, there's there are you know, kids walking to school, uh, there are recreational facilities. Um, and so having that parking lot there um, or the additional, you know, X number of parking uh, uh, parking spaces will serve as, uh, uh, you know, it is a parking terminal and um, will generate additional trips through the neighborhood. And that's something that I'm vehemently against. So the, the couple of things is that, um, a couple of things I want to point out is that one, you, you know, you don't have to approve this variance. Uh, the variance doesn't align with plan, plan 2040 nor does it align with the strategic plan. I think uh, the, strategic, the strategic plan um, uh, mentioned in the, in the staff report was um, strong, welcoming neighborhoods, but there are no, you know, no metrics associated with this um, that would be associated or help improve um, from uh, uh, for approving this. So, um, you know, and they're also, you know, I think some historical images were shown today and, you know, th th that's fine well about what happened in the 1960s, but, you know, as, as plan, uh, or plan 2040 entails, you know, it's a vision for the future. And I think you have an opportunity today to, to advance plan 2040 and also the, the, the strategic plan. But, you know, w when you allow these kind of variances to proceed, it really cuts away at the purpose uh, of those plans to create, you know, walkable communities. Um, to create safe, walkable communities. So um, I think you have, and you, again, if you look at my letter, I think you have a lot of reasons why uh, why you can reject this. You know, I don't. It does, it's not an unnecessary hardship. We don't know um, really the extent of their parking situation, and also, um, you know, is it a hardship to to for them to be able to build uh, 40 spots as opposed to, or you know, 80 spots as opposed to 40 spots? I I I, I don't I don't think so. Um, so, you know, given, given that, you know, the, there are many things in our, in our community plans 
that would not want this type of development and also um, and you know it, it's a degradation of public infrastructure for private use um, I don't think it's for the the would support the public interest or general welfare so um, if you could wrap up your comments Mr. Carter yeah yeah and mm -hmm. lastly you know the last thing we need I think you, you'll see in the page maybe three of my comments I provided a kind of a, a heat map from satellite imagery um, it, this is already a very hot area part of town. Yes. Thank you, so, Mr. Carter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, other uh, people online um, that would like to speak to this issue? You can go ahead and unmute or raise your hand on the screen. No, let me swing back to the room and see if anybody else would like to comment who's in person for this item. Okay, seeing no further public comment, I'll bring it back to the commission. Thank you. Who would like to get us started on this particular item? I've got a couple questions. All right, <coughs> Commissioner Rexford. Um, Cece, uh, if I wanted to ask a question about, you'd made a comment about the final, uh, about the concept plan not being something that uh, um, would be assured to be the final plan. And given the applicant's commitment to, uh, if this project goes forward, to provide turnaround access for emergency vehicles, will there be anything in the process when it goes to final plat and final approvals that would be vetted through the fire department or in some way assure that that capability existed? CC Ray, Planning and Development Services. Um, fire's been an active part of this conversation and each time a uh, new version of this preliminary plot has come through, I've first brought it to fire because I agree that's a very important part of this process. The concept plan, part of why it's not accurate as to what the site plan will be is because there hasn't been any impervious surface measurements, there hasn't been any discussion of how wide their buffer yards are going to be. So it's going to all affect parking and we'll need to have a clear idea of what that concept is whenever we go to the final plat stage before it goes to city commission for easement acceptance. Thank you. And currently the both streets just dead end at that uh, vacant lot, correct? So there's no accommodation for vehicles to turn around as it is. Is that, is that accurate? C.C. Riley Planning and Development Services. Yes, that is accurate. They both terminate at a dead end without a turnaround. Then just one more quick question, if I could, for uh, for Mr. Carter. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being here and, and uh, for submitting the note. I did get a chance to read through that and very much appreciate your thoughts. Um, as I look at the question for you, as I look at the map, I'm looking at an overview of this satellite image of it right now. Um, you made the comment uh, about um, how having this these streets dump into this parking lot and, and increased number of lots, increased number of parking spots um, might increase the traffic. I'm, I'm, I'm working to understand what would draw outside of the church's activity and given where this is located, um, what might draw additional traffic because of that parking lot. Can you help me understand that, where that concern comes from? Yeah, no, thank you. Simply by providing the, you know, like I said, the uh, like terminal, right? Um, a, a place to park it is a it's it uh well allows people to drive there so if people might have a choice between walking biking or taking transit if it's if it's very easy to park their car then that will contribute to car use and that's that's ultimately what what you know leads to automobile dependency 
through you know land use decisions like this. So so um, yeah, uh, that, that that's that's what I mean. Like it 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 will serve as a kind of a magnet for for traffic. All right. So your your objection is the parking lot in general, not necessarily the question of whether there's a cul-de-sac or whether it terminates into a parking lot. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, you know, I recognize that they could, you know, they could build like if you deny the variance, they could still build parking lots, and there's nothing I can do about that. You know, it's just, this is how it is. But but you do have you do have a choice right now, and there will be fewer parking spots if you deny the variance, and that is something that I'm interested in. So that again, um, you know, I can safely walk and bike with you know the streets with my children, right? So. Thank you so much, Mr. Carter. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Other comments from commissioners? Commissioner Carpenter? I guess I guess it's a question for CC or for Dean. Um, is this parking lot gonna essentially make a cut through between 22nd Street and 22nd Terrace that people are gonna be using? CC Riley Planning and Development Services. The easement is specific to the termination of both West 22nd Street and West 22nd Terrace. There was discussion of having an easement that was sort of a through between the two that was directly not what was proposed and what was accepted by the city engineer. So the intention is not to be a through. All right, this is not not about what is legal, it's what people are gonna be doing. Are they gonna be able to cut between these two streets by going through this parking lot once it's built? CC Riley Planning and Development Services, I can't say because I haven't seen a design for the site plan. Uh, Dean Grove, Grove Engineering. Um, the owner's aware of that. Um, as, as CC mentioned, the first thought was, was a public access. And I said, no, we don't want that. You know, they could still put up a gate or something. Um, and yes, there could be some traffic through it, you know, but kind of the idea that you've got two pretty short dead end streets, you know, there's really not too many that are going to cut down a dead end street. They can, oh, well, I can cut through the parking lot and back out. It would, uh, but it also, um, you know, flow of traffic that as people go out, they can go out both um, both streets, you know, whether they want to go one way or another. But yes, it doesn't, it wouldn't be able to stop, you know, somebody that got from the end of the street instead of turning around of going through their parking lot. But believe that you know it would be a very limited handful and more times than not it would just be that they don't know where they're going and kind of go through the parking lot and back out but I don't think we're creating any kind of necessary cut through like you might at a corner of an intersection where they just want to miss the light and cut through so All right. I, I hope that if that has answered your question sure. don't go away because we got two parts here. We're going to have to have two votes, one on just the preliminary plat and a second on the variance. So I want to focus on the variance a little bit. I'm trying to wrap my head around what the actually the undue hardship is to be to put in the cul-de-sacs. Well, with, with the cul-de-sac one, they would be dedicating right away. Um, which would be significantly taken away from their property. And again, yes, that's the way it was in the old days, but it's been 56 plus years that people have functioned without any type of cul-de-sac. Um, besides the, the dedicating a right-of-way, uh, you're asking them to build a cul-de-sac on two streets mm -hmm. that 
you know, maybe should or should not have been done many years ago. Um, and, and then with that, by taking away, taking right away or requiring them to dedicate right away, as I mentioned that the existing parking spaces that they have or can provide would be reduced by, you know, 30 or 40. So it's, you know, I know you hate to hear the, the money thing, but it's a significant of not just that we can't do this, now we're gonna build two streets, cul-de-sacs, that really won't serve any purpose for us. Um, you know, so it's- That's uh, required by the current code. Yeah. Right? So, and that's why I'm here. And, and um, you know, again, thought it was reasonable, um, again, as a solution of, you know, what is a cul-de-sac, the purpose to provide, you know, fire trucks and garbage trucks a place to turn around. Um, and yes, it's not a, uh, I know we've been down this road where we had a smaller cul-de-sac, um, but the problem with a smaller cul-de-sac then the, the fire department doesn't want any parking on it. Uh, if they built a cul-de-sac, yes, but you would say, well, we're gonna make people park in the street in the cul-de-sac. Um, so. It, it just seemed like a, a, and a, a lot of money and a lot of giving of land really in the end, in, in our opinion, doesn't serve the public any more um, good than what we're proposing. So, and I know it's tough to what, what is defined as a hardship. Well, um, you know, financial and giving up land and spending money on a cul-de-sac that has been needed for a long time and wouldn't serve much purpose. We believe that's a hardship that. But that requirement wasn't triggered until now with your preliminary plat and the subsequent site plan. I mean, yeah. these things usually, I mean, you'll agree, these things just sit the way they are until somebody triggers it because they want to do a development, <laughs> right? And, and I understand. And like I say, if it wasn't, you know, just a little bit, you know, you can see, but it's a, it's a significant, um, hardship, not just a, hey, you got to pay this, or you got to put this in for the fire department or something. It's a, a significant hardship for the owner that, again, I believe in the end, doesn't provide any more safety for the uh, public than what we're proposing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can see what you're proposing here is kind of a variation on what you did at the end of Beatnik Drive with be able to turn around, but you're using the parking lot. And well, and, and yeah, there isn't any true cul-de-sac with this one. Uh, the figure that I provided that CC put up was just because, you know, so it's a cul-de-sac, but when you take a 60-foot right-of-way bulb and you kind of plop it down, you know, the whole south end of that new parking lot goes away, you know, that it's... <laughs> You know, it's not just, oh, you put a little circle there at the end and, and the situation is taken care of. No, when you have 60 foot right away and then a 15 foot setback from there to parking and 25 to property, pretty soon you have uh, eaten up a, a significant piece of property that then becomes unusable for, for their purpose. And, and the concept plan, it's probably more than the parking that they need, but it was just, what could we do and where's a starting point for the, the, the documents that we're bringing to you. But it wouldn't very much, but as, as Cece said, setbacks and one way, you know, different things. It's just, a, I can't, to show you what they're, why they're bringing this preliminary plat to you tonight, that they've got to provide some more parking. They're out of parking and, you know, again, the last parking you provide 
if the church has the ability, people are going to park in the street if there's not a place in the parking lot. Okay. So is that, is that a better thing? Um, I will speak just briefly to traffic. Uh, churches and neighborhood churches are kind of a tricky traffic assessment because they happen on weekends and not on peak morning hours or peak evening hours and so you see a little more traffic yes on Sunday you know but then when you don't see virtually any on Monday through Friday um, you know any extra traffic you're providing is on a non-peak time where traffic is generally low to begin with so I mean that will all come with the you know, the site plan and the total number of stalls and all that and how we assess that. Okay, before I let you go, let's jump, jump to the last issue on my mind, which is the stormwater runoff. Mm -hmm. Where are you hooking into the stormwater system? Well, that has not been decided. We are working at underground systems. I'm looking at permeable pavement, other things that would significantly reduce it. Um, we've talked one option is that the way the parking is, if we put that in, that we could drain on the, in the end of the curb line on uh, 22nd Street. We're aware that the storm sewer is down farther and we may have to do something. Um, you know, it was, it, there is right away, there's a way to get there. And so, you know, doing anything at this point, you know, until we got over this uh, hurdle. You know, but we looking at the interactive map, you're going to have to take all your water north to be in the storm waters. Yeah, and, and most, if you look at um, the interactive map, almost all the the contours all take everything north, which is where the closest storm sewer is. There would be a little bit that would drain to the south, um, and the, the height of the north end allows for an underground system. Um, so I've looked at a lot of options. I haven't finalized that again just because. Um, but knowing that there was public right of way to connect to the storm sewer um, when that analysis is finalized. All right, thanks. Other questions from the commissioners? I got one more for Mr. Grove before he goes, if I, if I could. Um, two questions, actually. <clears throat> do, you, do you know um, if the church had acquired that extra parcel with the in, in the past with the intention of that being where they expanded to? Um, the church recently brought it, bought it from the Cornerstone Baptist Church, and Stephen will if I'm mis misspeaking, but they owned it. They moved out to 25th and O'Connell here in the last year. Uh, so they owned that or bought that as well. I don't know um, when the when that transition was, I don't believe it ever belonged to the school district. So I, it was probably just a, like I say, just a piece at the end that I'm assuming the church has owned for a long time. But I, I apologize, I don't know that That's okay. That's okay. exact answer. But curious. it wasn't that, you know, they just bought it. And again, I won't tell anybody, but you'll see a few cars parked there just because as they, again, more people are coming. And, and, and part of it is with, they, they're drawing a lot of students. So they're all driving and yeah. cars by themselves, which is... I noticed cars parked in the grass. You know, uh, good and bad that they're coming to church, but you got to have a place for them to park if they're not going to ride their bikes or walk. Absolutely good. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you. Thank you. I actually have a question for staff, kind of for you. This um, a preliminary plat, I mean, we're, we don't have any information on stormwater. Um, any details, any details on impervious surface or any details on the buffer yard? 
Um, so we don't really know what we would be approving here. Um, so that all that stuff is coming later. And would there be an opportunity for the public to comment on some of those details um, at a later date? Yeah, there would be an opportunity with the site planning process that would entail where the stormwater, the buffer yards, and all those come into play as part of that. So there is a, a process that would come on after the plat that's administrative that people could participate in for those details. Okay, but it would not come um, before here. So their next avail, if they weren't part of that process, that administrative process, the next opportunity would be at the city commission. The, right, city, or the that, city commission would only yeah. be accepting the easements and medications right. on that one. Your action tonight is the approval of the plat. If you approve the preliminary plat, the final plat is an administrative item that's taken care of by staff. So if, if somebody was going to be commenting on stormwater or mm -hmm. buffer yards, that would be part of the administrative site planning process. And we post notice and send mailing out to 400, okay. excuse me, to people within 400 feet as part of that process. Okay. So I'm glad there's an opportunity for further public comment on those details that we don't have. But I'm, I have to admit I'm a little uncomfortable um, approving a, a preliminary plat with such little information on what that would look like. You know, preliminary plats yeah. are very yeah. a ministerial yeah. item. It's either it meets the criteria of the subdivision regulations or it doesn't. So platting doesn't necessarily constitute or have to be entailed with a development application. So something can be platted and then not have a development application come forward for many years or at any time. So it's not uncommon you would have the item that would be a little bit disassociated. And kind of like what CeCe said is, um, at this point, we're looking at concept drawings that we've they're not been vetted against the code. We don't know if they fully meet all the requirements, but it's just to kind of give you an idea of what that turnaround would look like and to show you the turning radius of a fire truck if one was necessary to kind of give the, 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 the uh, Sorry, the words just went right out of my mouth. Yep. There, the, um, yeah, just sort of the path, the path, path of travel. There we go, yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, auto turn, there mm -hmm. it is. No, it took me a minute there. So you can see how the truck mm -hmm. would react there. Mm -hmm. But the planning is really just an exercise about does it meet the subdivision criteria for mm -hmm. the combining of unplatted and platted property as we've kind of put in the staff report. Now the variance is related to the bulbs at the end that would necessarily be required by the subdivision regulation. So it's not necessarily pertaining to the design or the concept of the site plan, but it is pertaining to how the subdivision would be laid out as the ultimate part of the planning process. Thank you. <coughs> Commissioner Carpenter. So Jeff, I mean, when we're talking about planning, essentially what we're doing is we're combining or subdividing land or bringing land that's never been platted into the planet so that we can begin a development process. This is not, so, you know, what we, we just have a plan. We could do this without any plan in front of us and just say, let's put this land on the books so we can look at what's possible with the current zoning and what can be done. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So I think our real issue is, has to do with those cul-de-sacs. Is there any way that they can be smaller than this 60 feet? You know, there is, I'm not the city engineer, so I may be speaking a little bit out of turn here, but there are instances where cul-de-sacs do have a bit of a reduced bulb width, but I don't know how much reduction is possible depending upon fire apparatus and what would come into the area to be required. So I know you can do it in certain instances. I don't know if this is an instance where it would be be applicable. Or has, 
anyone explored a combination of a reduced bulb and also access to the parking lot to make that work? So you can get kind of a three-point turn in some way for the trucks? I think that was part of the intention with the easements inside of the parking lot was to have sort of a bulb of sorts for turnaround, but not a formalized curbed bulb and then the parking lot. Right. I'm just, I'm just str still struggling with how we find an undue hardship that we don't comply with what's required for our streets. I mean, which was triggered by this, you know, land use action, which is how we bring things up to code all the time. So why shouldn't we bring these streets up to code? That's, that's what I'm struggling with. I don't, I don't know what the undue hardship is other than a loss of some parking lot, uh, parking spaces. If the city gets this property from the landowner, is a property owner compensated for this land? Or do they just have to give it to the city? It would be dedicated as part of the planning process. So they would just give it to the city in order to be in compliance with the current code. Correct. So Randy, are you on? Yes, I am. Did you could you go through what an undue hardship is in this situation for the planning commission? Because I know it's different from the BZA, but that's the undue hardship part. Uh, yeah, hold on just a second. Commissioner Carpenter, are you, are you wanting the, the definition for? So bear with me one minute while my... Yeah, and how it's been interpreted. I know it's individual yeah. every time, but we have a general way to interpret undue hardship. So in the subdivision regulations, an unnecessary hardship is defined as the condition resulting from application of these regulations when viewing the property in its environment that is so unreasonable as to becoming an arbitrary or complete arbitrary or excuse me arbitrary and capricious interference with the basic right of public private excuse me private property ownership or convincing proof exists that it is impossible to use the property for a conforming use or sufficient factors exist to constitute a hardship that would in effect deprive the owner of their property without compensation mere financial loss or the loss of potential financial advantage does not constitute unnecessary hardship. That's the same definition for the BZA. If my memory serves me, it, I think almost verbatim, yes. <laughs> so if staff is recommending we uh, grant this variance, what criteria are you using as staff to say that somehow this meets that definition. Is this arbitrary and capricious to require somebody to comply with the code in this circumstance? It was primarily the discussion with the city engineer and his determination that the street would not require a through and a cul-de-sac did not necessarily meet what the city's plan was for this area in addition to the long-term intention for these to be terminating here, 
the northern area off West 22nd Street, where the street ends isn't fully on this person's property as well. It's sort of half of the street. The southern part of the right-of-way is what is adjacent to this property. So it would also be necessary to have that property to the north involved if there was a standard cul-de-sac at the end. And then with the public access easements as a condition on the approval of the variance, meeting what the city engineer required was how staff came to this. So is there some requirement that the entire cul-de-sac has to be on Cornerstone Southern or on this property? The map still says it's Cornerstone Southern Baptist, but is there any requirement that the entire cul-de-sac be built on this property or would adjacent landowners have to contribute to it also? Typically, if the right-of-way was not in existence, the person requesting the subdivision would have to bear the burden of the, the whole of the cul-de-sac, unless the other owners would enter in and participate as part of that cul-de-sac development. Okay. Have any other options been explored other than a variance and how we might get to a better result? I believe the variance in addition with the easement was the creative solution. If my, I might ask a, an additional question about um, going back to thinking about traffic. Um, as I read in the packet, there was only one additional sidewalk that was going to be included on, I believe was it West 22nd Street. Um, there was going to be a sidewalk included, but that would be the only sidewalk um, for West 22nd Street or West 22nd Terrace, correct? Sorry, great question. Also, I'm just looking through my notes. Yeah. CC, correct me. existing sidewalk along mm -hmm. West 22nd Terrace. So the West 22nd Street would be yes. the only required sidewalk. It's difficult to see because it falls right under the property line. Okay, I see. So there is one on one sidewalk on West 22nd Terrace, and there would be one sidewalk on West 22nd Street um, as part of this project that would be built. So it would be a sidewalk on each street. Correct. Okay. Thank you. It's a positive. So yes, I, yeah, just, Mr. Rexford. Just weigh in with a couple thoughts. Um, I don't think I have any other questions to ask on this. I um, understand that traditionally the opportunity to um, move things into compliance comes when an application for a project comes before us. Uh, in this particular case, um, I, I have a hard time seeing how. Um, putting a cul-de-sac, even though the code specifically asks for that, putting a cul-de-sac in on both of these dead-end streets um, provides a benefit beyond what the, 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 what they're calling the creative solution provides for, and that's a parking lot where that turnaround can happen. Um, it, uh, in my mind, the way I'm, I'm, the way I'm hearing this, I, I, I feel like that's probably a, a, a good solution for both 
providing access that doesn't exist today um, for giving turnaround for vehicles. And, and even if there is a cut through, um, I, as I look at the map again, I, I don't see very many instances where a person would want to do that rather than just take the, the primary streets. But uh, there, there might be some, I suppose. But um, I'm, I'm inclined to support this request. Um, because it does seem to be a solution that meets the the designed the desired goal of having a cul-de-sac, but also allows for the applicant to uh, um, gain access to parking that they need. But is that an undue hardship? So in my mind, when I as I try to rationalize that, Jim, um, I think that requiring them to um, give property that includes the very problem they're trying to solve up for the purpose of providing turnaround is a hardship as compared to giving access to designing this project in a way that accomplishes the same goal as the cul-de-sac but without having to bear that expense so in my mind it meets that well, goal. I, I see a code defect I don't see an undue hardship I think we this is another instance of our current code that doesn't work in the older neighborhoods. And in my but mind, this is the code, and, and we mind, are the final. We are the final decision yeah. on this variance. So, in my mind, I, I agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. But in my mind, this is exactly why we exist: is to look and put and to say, okay, does the code apply here? And if not, how do we recommend that we go forward? Well, okay. I still can't get past the fact that we're make the final arbiter of a variance, which means we're quasi-judicial, which means we have to apply the, the code to the facts, and I still can't get to an undue hardship. Yeah. I, know, I know it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but that's where I am, you know? <laughs> that's what the law does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I struggle with, while I, well, while you're, what you're saying is accurate, I struggle with burdening the applicant with the deficiency in our system. Well, so I'm, I'm inclined to support because of that. Maybe there's a way to ask to change the code in some way that wouldn't require a variance. That was what I was asking. Are there other possible ways to get to the same solution without granting a variance for now, for eternity, you know? <laughs> I'm going to ask um, if there are other commissioners that want to weigh in on this particular debate, debate, especially about the undue hardship. But I also I do have one clarifying question about the sidewalk again. So we have seen in the past a number of sidewalk variances. So with the sidewalk that's intended to be built on West 22nd Street, is there any way that that would then uh, be postponed? Um, require another variance if if there was a decision that well um, there aren't any sidewalks there now we see this a lot this question of well we don't have any connecting sidewalks so why should we build it now we'll build it sometime in the future but I so I have a question about is that sidewalk a definitive part of this project or is that something that could in some fashion be put off when this comes to final platting. Cece may have a little bit more information than I do on this item, but typically those would also, we're not, it's, would get rolled either into 
the site planning process as part of the parking lot and those kind of items, or it can be rolled into the planning process as those. And I'm not aware of uh, any, any issues that the city engineer has raised up on this item for having a sidewalk there. So it, it could be timed and constructed with the parking lot, which would be kind of a more uh, convenient option, I think, for the mm -hmm. owners. But uh, Cece, please feel free to correct me if I've stepped astray on that, on that one, or I have old information there. <laughs> No, thank you for your help, Jeff. Okay, so back to the debate at hand. Um, uh, Commissioner Hayden, do you well, I just had a question. I'm new, so, um, but I'm just kind of, is this putting the cart before the horse in the sense that or we're not even sure if it's going to be a parking lot? Um, and so do we have to decide this? Because if it's going to be a different use, it might make sense to have the cul-de-sacs, but if it's going to be a parking lot, then... I, I tend to think that we're establishing what we really wanted to get done by the code. So I'm just curious as to the timing. I don't know if that's a question for staff or who that's a question for, but. Yeah, I think that is a good question for Cece in terms of the, it said in the packet parking lot or. Yeah, that's what my, so my understanding was that would be, a good I wasn't gonna necessarily be a parking lot. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So at this stage, we are um, discussing the preliminary plot, which just combines the two lots and as a part of that platting process, the streets have to come into compliance. That's the portion of the cul-de-sacs or the easement through what would be the parking lot. The reason why the parking lot is and or is because we have not seen that site plan. It hasn't been submitted to the planning office. They have mentioned intent for the parking lot. They've also discussed some about in addition to the Redemption Hill Church at that stage, during the site planning process, we'll know more about what that parking lot looks like. But the variance has to be done with, with the combination of the plat planning? Correct. The bringing of the two lots together is also whenever the street has to come into compliance. In this case, they're asking a variance from that street compliance. Thank you. Other thoughts from commissioners on this? Okay, I have another, Please. probably not, but could they get, a, so even if we uh, if we denied it today based on the fact we're not sure it's gonna be used, could they come um, before us again for another variance once they've decided what they're doing with it or no? I mean, can we say we do think there needs to be a cul-de-sac, right? But before they build it and they start to like develop it all, um, if, if I understand your question correctly, is could they could you approve the preliminary plat without the variances today? Top of my head would be no, because you'd be approving a preliminary plat that is not incongruous with the code. Variances are required to allow a preliminary plat to proceed. Okay, so the cul-de-sacs have to be built before we can even approve the preliminary plat. Not not necessarily approved. They have to be. The design of them and the variances have to be approved to allow the plat to be recorded. So platting is not an element of construction. Platting is an element of the, of the uh, lack of a better word, the paperwork side of it. Uh -huh. And so for the plats to be recorded, it has to reflect the variances being approved as it is being presented and designed. Now, if they were going to go through a different procedure, the plat would need to then reflect and come in to meet the code compliance standards for the subdivision regulations. And then that would not require necessarily a variance, it would just require your approval of a preliminary plat. 
Thank you. I, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, that mm -hmm. helps. So, Jeff, if we're going to vote no on the variance, we need to vote no on the preliminary plan also. Correct, because you would be, in, in essence, potentially approving a preliminary plan that is not in congruence with the subdivision regulations. Well, if we approve the preliminary plan, we're forcing a cul-de-sac, I mean, a, a bulb cul-de-sac. So we would force compliance with the code just by approving the preliminary plan, wouldn't we? That's the only way it would be co-compliant. But the preliminary plan in front of you today does not include that so you wouldn't right. be approving the preliminary plot that you see if right. your intention is to have it also show cul-de-sacs. Okay. Voting so, on the document as it's shown with the access easements in lieu of cul-de-sacs. Right. So definitely it would have to be no on both with what we have tonight. It could be, you could vote no on the variances and defer the plat for revision and future consideration. But we couldn't do the reverse. We couldn't approve the preliminary plat and defer the variance. No, because it, you'd yeah. be going, yeah, it'd be going against yourselves on that aspect. Got it. So if the, if if the vote would be no because of this, so what what would be the next step um, for the applicant? The applicant could submit a revised preliminary plat showing a subdivision compliant, excuse me, subdivision regulation compliant design with guidance from city engineers and municipal services and operations on, on details that they would need to see for uh, those requirements. Okay, thank you. Other comments and thoughts from commissioners? Um, I'm not sure if people are ready to uh, make a motion on this or need some more consideration. Uh, undue hardship, whether or not this can come back. I see a lot of thinking going on here. Um, I can't see if, no, nothing on the screen. Other thoughts before we, I call for a motion? If nobody's going to come. Oh. has their hand raised on the Zoom, and I believe maybe the property owner. Great, wonderful. Mr. Parkin? Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Pastor Stephen Parkin with Redemption Hill Church, and I just um, have been watching and wanted to make myself available to answer any questions, but um, also just wanted to to chime in um, and try to give some input. I know there was a question earlier about how this land was acquired and wanted to answer that briefly. Um, my understanding of the history was that that acre um, to the east that we're trying to uh, plat with the existing church property was donated to the church um, during the sale of that farmland that um, is now a baseball field and tennis courts, um, but it was donated as part of that sale to the church uh, for its own use. Um, during that sale, which was, I think was multiple decades ago, was what I was told by the neighborhood. But um, our concern is just that we, we own property that we purchased and um, that if we can't plat it and can't move forward, that it really serves no purpose for us to own property um, and can't actually 
make any improvements um, to try to benefit and alleviate pressure from the neighborhood um, and put that onto our own ownership of property. So our goal in all of this is trying to follow all the rules and um, and we're hoping to do that um, with your guys' approval. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions. I've been here the whole time um, as well. So thank you for your consideration. Can I ask? Uh, thank you. Yes. Mark, a question. Mr. Uh, Mr. Parkin, um, uh, do you or your church have any intentions for this lot other than a parking lot? Great question. Yeah, our, our primary issue right now is uh, parking. That's what we've come into, especially um, in the spring. We started having a lot of issues um, with parking problems. Uh, we asked college students to carpool. And so that's the primary thing. Um, if you recall, there was um, the potential sale of some lots to our south that we don't own that we currently use for parking. Um, so because we don't own that, we feel like it's our responsibility um, to be stewards of what we have been given. And so we're trying to make sure that we in our own property can provide parking that's sufficient for our needs, um, even at the current building capacity. Um, but we do have uh, a seating restriction in our current sanctuary that we're um, not quite at yet, but we see that approaching. And so our only desire for expansion potentially would be to expand the uh, far east wall and just double the width of the sanctuary, uh, which would take um, some of those parking spots away, but would provide enough seating so everybody could be in the same room for our worship services each week. Great. Thank you, sir. Yep. Thank you. Um, well, uh, let's see, just um, a thought on this. I have to admit I'm uh, going uh, two ways on this. Um, it doesn't seem like uh, requiring the cul-de-sacs is going to um, alleviate concerns much about traffic. I mean, the, it's not like the parking lot won't get built um, or may not get built with cul-de-sacs or, um, or not. But it, on the other hand, um, I, uh, I take to Commissioner Carpenter's argument um, to heart about it's not really an undue hardship to um, put the cul-de-sacs in and to be required to meet the updated land development codes. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm sort of leaning, I, I wouldn't mind seeing um, a, a redesign following the updated land development codes. Other thoughts? I'm inclined to agree with Commissioner Rexroad. Um, I, I absolutely agree that I, I'm not 100% convinced this is an undue hardship, but I also don't understand um, how making them go through the steps actually uh, meets the purpose of the code and what we want. They can, we can still get the fire trucks. We can still have the public safety. Um, it sounds like other people maybe own part of the land that would need to be taken into consideration to finish the cul-de-sacs. Um, and so I, I'm inclined to allow um, the variance, although I would agree it's not my favorite vote. Mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. I am encouraged by the fact that there is an administrative process in which the public can view um, the preliminary plat, all the details, buffer yards, impervious surface, stormwater control, um, that the public can be invested in that process um, as this goes forward to look at the details. So that's also encouraging. 
but that will but, not include anything about the variance. The variance no. ends here tonight. There's no public comment on it afterwards. There's no review by the city commission, nothing. This is the decision that ends here as either a yes or a no. So I just want to point that out. Yes, if they want to change what they want to do with this mm -hmm. site, that has the opportunity for people to watch for the signs for a site plan review and seek out the information and write a letter, but there won't be any public meetings on it. But um, the variance is done. I mean, if we approve it, there will never be a cul-de-sac on this street <clears throat> unless it's triggered by a property to the south or triggered by the school district to the, to the east. Mm -hmm. so. That's what we're deciding tonight, whether we're never going to have it, this is the end design, <laughs> or, or not. Just, I, 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 understand. I appreciate that. I, I just keep looking at this and trying to imagine scenarios where this solution um, is a negative. Um, I understand that it doesn't meet the strict uh, letter of the code. Uh, I, I happen to believe that we have met the standard of, of uh, undue hardship. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll stop. I, I believe, um, yes, Jeff. Just a, a point of clarification. Mm -hmm. A decision of the Planning Commission can be appealed to the City Commission under the subdivision regulation. So unlike the Board of Zoning Appeals, oh, it, would not be, it would not terminate to district court. It would go to the City Commission for consideration. Can you repeat that again, Jeff? So, any person aggrieved by a decision of the Planning Commission under the subdivision regulations may appeal the decision to the City Commission. Okay, thank you. All right, any further comments? So that means if we vote no, the applicant can appeal our no decision to the City Commission. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Mm -hmm. Any further comments? Where are people? Yes, Commissioner Hayden. Well, I, uh, I would uh, like to. It sounds like uh, someone from the audience has something to say. Oh, and, that, oh, and I would actually like Dean to Grove. hear it. Dean Grove with Grove Engineering. I, I, Jim, we've talked about variances, I think, on a lot of my projects um, and, and changing the code, which is going through now. Um, I think we always have to remember the code does not address infill as, oh, well, if you've got infill, you know, you've got a round peg, square hole, so here's what you can do. Well, the only thing we can do is bring it to this body as a variance to say, hey, we're confined on all four spaces, we've got this, how do we use it, this property that they have? You know, I, I understand the, the concerns about variance. If I'm going out and doing a new subdivision and I've got 100 acres to make everything fit, um, and again, as you say, bring something back, I'd love to. I've hated this code that doesn't, when we talk about all the time about infill and using the property you have and redeveloping it, but the minute that you got a round peg, square hole, well, you're out unless you bring a variance and you try and show the hardship. So, you know, hardship's a tough thing, but I, I think that the one thing I would have changed in the code is the fact that it, if we want infill, you've got to look at it a little different because it's, you're, you're just trying to take with what you have left and, and do the most. And here's a church that just needs more parking and Trying to come up with a solution. So, um, again, that's why 
I come with variances because I do a lot of small infill projects. And again, they always, they always got something that somehow doesn't fit the code that, again, does not have any provisions for, it doesn't differentiate between a new project out here and, and a greenfield site. And a, and a project at 22nd Street Terrace. So thank you. Variance is it. I'm yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I just say thank you. That actually, yeah. I'm very glad that I asked because I, I liked what you said about yeah. the infill. That was very actually very helpful to okay. me, and I, I am. Okay. I think I am inclined to um, approve the variance. I, I do have one quick question for a member of the public, and either somebody in person can answer or. Um, uh, Mr. Carter, uh, in terms of the parking on the street that currently happens now, is that been problematic um, with parking on the street? And would this in any way alleviate any problems with it? Please, please, go ahead. please state your name. Uh, my name is Scott Unicus, mm -hmm. and I live at 828 West 22nd Terrace, mm -hmm. just down the street. And honestly, we've spoken to the church before, and Really, parking during the week is not, or I mean, during service. So they really don't park down the street. They've, okay. they've made a pretty conscious effort to park in their spots. Part of me has told them it's only Sunday morning and we really don't care. Like, it's fine um, because we get parked up for, you know, the Lawrence High football games sometimes come over. Um, and so it has not been a problem on Sunday mornings. Um, I know they've been pretty conscious about it too, so they, it hasn't been a problem. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there hasn't been anybody parking over driveways or anything like that. So um, that was pretty much it. But I, did, I didn't speak earlier during the public comments because I kind of wanted to raise an issue that's more of a larger issue. Sorry. Um, for public comment period, this is it. Like, we don't get to really speak until the end when it's in front of the commission and it's almost a done deal sometimes. We just had this with replotting or, or rezoning the residential lots at the end of our street for commercial for the Dutch Brothers development. And part of it is like, I didn't speak earlier because this is literally just about the, the deviation or the, the I, sorry, I'm not using the correct terms. Yeah. But most of us have a problem with connecting the streets. We do not want a parking lot connecting the streets, and I don't know where, when we can talk to them about, like, if they don't want to listen to us, they don't have to, really. So, and there's no other opportunity coming up for the public to put in an input on whether, like, I don't mind having a parking lot, like, I don't mind having a deviation so people can turn around. I mean, I don't think it's necessary. The, the, the city trucks, the tr garbage truck just backs up our street. They know to, and then they go right back out. It's not really been an issue because um, it's just one step, one block. So it's not like it's three or four blocks they got to navigate. It's just one block you backed up, back down. Um, so anyway, that's not part of, I didn't speak earlier because it's not part of, it's not on the agenda. It's not part of what you guys are actually discussing. So that's why I didn't speak earlier, but I did want to speak to kind of allay the neighborhood's concern is like, this is our only opportunity, and then we just get up and speak about something that you guys aren't actually deciding on. So that's all. Thank you. Response? Well, no, it's, 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 oh. Comment, sorry. During the site planning process, during the parking lot consideration, yes, the process is administrative, but there is an appeal process that goes to city commission. If the site plan is not what folks are looking for, there's certain 
rights to appeal that have to be met, but there is additional options further down the line for folks in the community. We've exhausted comments. I can start That's, with a motion. Yes, I think we are ready for a motion. It's okay with everyone. I'll, I'll do that. Um, I'd move that we approve the preliminary plat P22-00248 for Redemption Hill subdivision located at 802 West 22nd Terrace and associated variance from section 20-810E of the subdivision regulations requiring local streets to continue into the proposed subdivision or terminate in a cul-de-sac based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in the report. Thank you, do I have a second? Second. Second by Commissioner DeVore. Any further discussion? Just a point of order, if yes. I may. So, Commissioner Rexford, was your motion to approve both the variance, give me both the plat and the variance under the same motion? Yes. Do you want those broken out into two? If possible, yes, yes because there may be commissioners who would like to vote differently on those two. Okay. I have a point of order. I thought you said we couldn't. You can. It's just commissioners may choose to vote differently on both items. So typically when we do the preliminary plats and the variances, is they're two different votes. It's a vote for the variance and a vote for the plat. So, so I would recommend considering a vote for the variance first and then considering a vote for the plat, just so we have an understanding of if you vote for the plat, where you would be able to do. Say that last part again. I, I would recommend voting for the variances, or excuse me, making a motion to vote for the variances first and then follow it with a motion for the plat, depending on the outcome of the variance. Variance first, plat second. That would be staff recommendation. All right. Let's see if I can pull this off. So I'll with oh, point, of, point of order, oh. will the second oh, hold on. voluntarily withdraw the yes. second? Yeah, we have to draw, withdraw the second Get in first. Get in there. Um, so. Commissioner DeVore, will you withdraw your second? Yeah, okay, yep. thank you. All right, I'd like to modify my motion. Um, we're going to do the variance first. So I move we approve um, the variance to, sub, to section 20-810E of the subdivision regulations requiring local streets to continue with a proposed subdivision and terminate or terminate in a cul-de-sac based on the findings presented in the staff report for the project at 802 West 22nd Terrace Redemption Hill subdivision. Now can we have a second? Commissioner DeVore second. Any further discussion? Okay, can we have a call for vote? Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Barotto? No. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Payden? No. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Motion ties four to four. <laughs> okay. Now I guess we'll move on to the variance. Motion for a variance. For the uh, subject. I'm sorry, for the, for the um, <laughs> preliminary plat, sorry. All right. Um, may just give us one moment to understand what a tie vote does in this situation. All right. Yeah.
have to apologize. I'm sure this is not the most thrilling television possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important, so thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, people flock to our broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes. clears Would this um, be would would it be beneficial if we took a break well and then come back to this or should we finish this? I think that would that would that would work timing wise. That would work yeah. timing wise. Okay. Move it, would we do we take a break or we, we, we do not need to move to take a break. We can take a break um, and be back in five minutes, three minutes. Yeah, five, five minutes, five minute break. Um, we are ready to begin. You good? You ready? Yeah. Okay. So we are back from break. We are ready to begin, and we'll, we'll have to start with um, staff input uh, uh, after our vote, our tie uh, vote. First, my apologies for the delay on that one. It uh, not a common voting occurrence that we have with you all in this instance. In this instance, based upon a tie vote, we would assume the motion does not pass. So the variance did not approve based on the tie vote. Okay, so if the right of uh, the variance did not pass, what does that mean for the vote on the preliminary plat? You, you could do one of two actions. You could defer the preliminary plat for further review and guidance on that one, or you could take action to potentially vote on the plat as it is, you know, it, it should be vote for denial on that plat because the variance would have been necessary for the vote of the approval, so your motion would be a recommendation for denial. But you also have the ability to recommend, or excuse me, a motion to deny the plat. You also have the ability to defer it for other consideration and study. You don't have to take immediate action on the plat if you would like to have, give the applicant more time to review and, and the engineers to confer and find out another solution or option. If, Go ahead. If, yes. it's, mm -hmm. if it's denied tonight, does that, then let the applicant um, skip ahead to um, appeal to the city commission? If it is denied, it would allow the avenue for appeals. Mm -hmm. If it's deferred, though, it's not. Thank Correct. You. You, would, you would still see it come back to you again for consideration. So it would come back um, consideration as um, plat and, well, maybe a variance, maybe not, depending on what happens. There would be opportunity for public comment at that point. Correct. And was, okay. And we'd probably see that in November. Um, We're not going to make it for next month. Yeah, my, my just off the top of my head, it would be probably at its earliest would be November, but 
I, I'm just, that's what I should have said that. The earliest it would come back is November. It would be my assumption at this point, yes. But it would come back when the applicant's ready to come back. Correct. It, right. For a deferral, it would come back to you for consideration to approve the plat. Okay. Could the um, applicant, if we deferred it, could the applicant decide to withdraw um, the request for a plat and um, work on other things and then bring it back at another time? Correct. They could choose to do defer it for a while and then ultimately revise or redesign as part of whatever they would like to choose. But a denial would put them in the same spot, wouldn't it? They would just have to start that process over again. I'm just trying to think about how to give them a path other than waiting for us right. to get back around to them. A denial would put the appeal window in process for the application, so they would have the ability to appeal your decision to the city commission. I think an appeal the variance decision right now, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. sure. Good point. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just want to be really clear on that because that was my concern. So they can go ahead and appeal the vote we just took? Correct. So if we approve the plat, let's just imagine that scenario. If we voted and we approved the plat with a variance not approved and they went to the city commission, city commission overturned our no vote and approved the variance, they're then moving forward. Is that, a, is that a real life scenario? No, because you would ultimately be approving a plant that did not meet the subdivision regulations. And I believe I heard you, Randy Larkin, please. Yeah, Thank this you. Randy Larkin, uh, Deputy uh, Attorney. Yes, uh, approval of plat is a is a ministerial function so it's a question of if it meets the requirements or the criteria of the city code then you are required to approve it and if it does not meet those standards you are required to deny it you don't have any discretion so if the variance was needed for it to meet the criteria of the city code then it doesn't meet the standards and you would have no choice but to deny or to defer so jeff is correct um, I guess I, I would be inclined to defer this, to have it brought back, um, redesigned, rethought out, public comment. Um, that would be my inclination, but others? I think I would just be clear that if we did defer it, they could go ahead and go through the appeals process of the variance. And if that were to be overturned and a decision, different decision was to be made, then we could just pick up where we left off because it's been deferred. I just am correct in that, right? Correct. If, if, if the appeal was to appeal. proceed up with mm -hmm. that first vote and it was a determination on that one, then mm -hmm. you would be able to review that plat in light of that mm -hmm. outcome at the city commission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with a deferral. It leaves more options open to the applicant than anything else we would do right now, at least with the descriptions we've had. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Other thoughts? Can I have a motion? It would be can I is that Jeff do we have to set a time limit or we just have an indefinite deferral deferrals don't have to have time limits it, typically what we try to do is bring them back at, at the quickest possible next meeting or whenever the applicant is ready for you to hear the item so I guess technically you'd pop it back up on an agenda and show it was deferred by applicant or 
something? Because we can't just leave it sit forever as deferred, I wouldn't think. Right, there are inactive case rules that do take into effect in the code. So if a case sits idle for more than a certain number of months, it is automatically just closed out as part of the process. So they, they wouldn't sit there forever. All right. Would you care to make a motion on the preliminary plot? No. Okay. I don't have it up. <clears throat> I can go ahead and, yeah, I can go ahead and. Nobody else is going to move to defer? Okay. Um, I move that we defer the preliminary plat for Redemption Hill subdivision located at 802 West 22nd Street and associate. No, it, just defer the preliminary plat for Redemption Hill subdivision located at 802 West 22nd Terrace. Would that be enough? Yes. Okay. Second. Second by Commissioner Carpenter. Further discussion? All right, can we have a call the vote? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Payden? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? No. Motion passes seven to one. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you to the applicants. Thank you to the members of the public online and in person. Uh, we will, uh, so that's either going to come back here before us uh, or go on uh, for to this consideration by the city commission. So but thank you for your time here tonight. That did take a while and thank you for uh, participating. So we're going to move on to item number two. Um, it's another cul-de-sac. Uh, so, consider approving a variance from the right-of-way with standards for a cul-de-sac um, in the subdivision regulations for Alvers Edition. Uh, the planning staff uh, this evening for that item is Ellie Mullins. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Ellie Mullins, Planning and Development Services. Uh, the item before you this evening is a request for a variance from the right-of-way with standards for cul-de-sacs uh, required by the subdivision design standards. Uh, this variance request is related to the minor subdivision for Alvers edition or MS 22-00273, which proposes to consolidate two existing lots into one lot at 1351 and 1355 Kansas Drive. Minor subdivisions are reviewed administratively. However, planning commission approval is required for variances from the subdivision de design standards. The, de the subdivision design standards uh, require cul-de-sacs to have a 60 foot minimum right-of-way radius and a minimum 50 foot paved bulb radius. The existing cul-de-sac has a 50 foot right-of-way radius and so the applicant is proposing to retain the existing right-of-way width for the cul-de-sac abutting the subject properties. Um, staff has reviewed the variance request against the decision-making criteria provided in section 20-813G of the subdivision regulations. This analysis and the decision-making making criteria can be found in the memo included within this evening's agenda packet. 
Staff concluded that the proposed variance meets all three of the criteria needed for approval. The city engineer has also reviewed the variance request and is supportive of maintaining the current right-of-way radius for the cul-de-sac. The city engineer indicated that there would be no plans to bring the paved bulb of the cul-de-sac into compliance once adequate, adequate right-of-way exists. Based on the findings presented in the variance memo, staff recommends approving the variance request to allow for a reduced right-of-way width of 50 feet for the cul-de-sac adjacent to 1351 and 1355 Kansas Drive related to MS-22-00273. Thank you. Um, do we have an applicant here this evening for comment? Um, Steve Williams? It doesn't appear that we have an applicant present this evening. Um, so I will turn it over to public comment on this item. Is there anybody in the room wishing to comment on item two? Is there anybody online who would like to comment on item number two? Variance from... Nope, I'm seeing none. I will bring it back to the commission for discussion. Commissioner Carpenter. A uh, question for staff. Uh, would you by any chance have a diagram to show what happens to these two parcels if we go to 60 feet? Uh, I can show the existing condition. Don't have a diagram for if that were to be included. Um, I believe if the variance wasn't um, accepted or um, approved, uh, they would have to dedicate half of the required right-of-way, I believe. Yeah, they would have to dedicate five feet of right-of-way for the cul-de-sac um, to meet the standards. Uh, but I can share a diagram of the existing conditions. So these are the two um, subject properties. Um, it would be combined into one. This is the existing right-of-way width. And then the paved bulb um, is about 40 feet. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to get a vision in my head of what's going to happen to the ability to access these lots if we expand that bulb in this case. It, question and access to the lots, one thing, it looks like there's also an existing driveway that would be in play, is that true? So there is an existing uh, cul-de-sac paved bulb um, to right. these subject, yeah, to these properties. Um, Are there driveways in place now? Not at, not at the subject properties. Or curb um, cuts? I don't believe so. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the driveway that's at the top of that image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a part of that's on that bulb. Presumably, that would be impacted as well. Yeah, if, which is really why I'm bringing this up because if we expand the size of this bulb, the way it's these lots are currently designed, we 
I'm just trying to figure out. We would still meet the other code requirements for the setbacks and everything else for a driveway to still get into those lots. Yeah. Uh, question for Stephanie, are there other cul-de-sac bulbs in this development that um, are of that same size and have already received a, a variance? There's um, a there are existing ones within um, the original plat. Um, I don't know if any of the, I don't believe any of those have gone through a variance process because this comes into play if you're combining the two lots. Uh, Most of the area that was developed was developed prior to the adoption of the current code. So it would have been done under the 1960, 70 uh, subdivision regulations. It was prior to the ones that we have today. And that's why you see the cul-de-sacs with the different dimensionals in this subdivision. Because mm -hmm. I'm also paying attention to the slope on this land, which what we're dropping from it says 966 feet down to 930 feet at the back of the lot. So those are kind of steep slopes to be building on. So if we don't have enough space, I mean, we could push them trying back. Trying to get that. undue hardship that we're at <laughs> risk of possibly making these undevelopable lots. So. You'd be pushing them back on the slope for sure. <clears throat> And as I uh, look through the packet, there's no objection from fire on this one. Ellie, as I understand that. Along, yeah, Ellie, fire yeah. Was, yeah. One, was in agreement with this. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, there was mm -hmm. no, um, no comment right. from fire. Other comments? Other questions? Anybody good with a motion? Make a this motion. one. Okay. I move we consider approving a variance from the right-of-way width standards for a cul-de-sac as expressed in section 20-810E5I of the subdivision regula regulations for Alvarez edition MS22-00273 uh, located at 1351 and 1355 Consa Drive. Point of order, would you voluntarily remove the word consider and just ask that we have a motion to approve. Yes, I'll read the right line here, Jim. Thank you. I'll, let, me mod let me modify this, my motion. I move we approve the various requests for minor subdivision MS 22-00273 to allow a reduced street right-of-way radius of 50 feet for the cul-de-sac adjacent to 1351 and 1355 Conza Drive as shown in the proposed Alvarez edition plat drawing. I have a second. I'll second. Second. Mr. Baroto, uh, and any further discussion? Can we have a call for the vote? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Payden? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. All right, thank you. We are on to item number three, to consider approving a request to rezone approximately 0.13 acres at 900 Pennsylvania Street from IG to IL. Mary Miller will be pre presenting this particular application. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Mary Miller, a city county planner, and I'll be sharing my screen. And as you mentioned, this is a rezoning request from the IL or IG General Industrial to the IL Limited Industrial District. Mm 
The subject property is about one tenth of an acre and is located at 900 Pennsylvania Street. It is south of the Aiken, Pennsylvania Neighborhood Redevelopment Zone, which is commonly known as the Warehouse Art District. And that area is outlined in the bold dashed line on this graphic. Uh, to the west, about a block, we have New York Elementary School. To the east, we have the East Lawrence um, Industrial District. The proposed development of quality restaurant is not permitted in the current IG zoning, and therefore this applications have been made to rezone to the IL district. Um, staff and the applicant discussed the IL and the CN2 or neighborhood commercial district. And as the site doesn't meet the locational intentions mentioned in the development code, staff recommended the IL district. However, per the lesser change table, it would be possible for the planning commission to recommend rezoning to the CN2 neighborhood commercial or to the IBP industrial business park district without having to re-notice the application if they feel that is appropriate. And I'll discuss these various zoning options in addition to the requested IL zoning. And the intention is to build a quality restaurant on this site. The development code identifies two types of restaurants. One is fast order food where you go in and get your food and leave. The turnover in that kind of restaurant is pretty heavy. A quality restaurant has sit down service. And so the turnover is slower. There's less traffic associated with the use generally. Uh, this concept plan shows the design layout the applicant is proposing. Um, they have the existing building. They're proposing to add an addition to the south. Uh, the wall would be facing the residential property to the south. There would have to be a buffer yard, a landscape buffer yard along the south property line. They're proposing a sound wall along the south property line as well. This is to uh, separate the residents to the south from the activity and sound associated with the restaurant. Uh, the outdoor dining area would be located east of the existing building and to the north of the proposed new addition. Um, looking at the concept plan, they're not showing the amount of parking that would be required. The concept plan is intended to show us if the proposed use is in conformance with the comprehensive plan. Uh, we would review it more thoroughly with the site plan. And at that time, they would either need to A, provide a shared or off-site parking agreement, showing that they have the required parking off-site, B, obtain a variance from the Board of Zoning Appeals, or C, reduce the size of the building so that they could provide the number of required parking spaces on-site. This graphic shows the proposed development in relation to the adjacent properties. And as I mentioned, the building wall on the south is intended to separate it from the adjacent residential property, which is pretty close to their north property line. It has the landscaping. And we reviewed this concept plan to see if the rezoning request is compliant or could be compliant with the recommendations in the comprehensive plan. And as they're requesting rezoning to the industrial, limited industrial district, which allows industrial and commercial uses, and it will be located next to a residential district, we'll review the recommendations in the comprehensive plan for industrial, commercial, and uh, neighborhood or residential uses. In the commercial chapter, they uh, recommend that we ensure compatible transitions from commercial uses to other less intensive uses to mitigate impacts, which may include landscaping, transition yards, and open space. 
And so they do show um, landscaping and the, there'll be a required buffer yard along the south property line. They're proposing a sound wall. Uh, when we look at it with the site plan, it may need to be pulled up to the north so that landscaping could be installed between the wall and the adjacent property. But um, they would be able to mitigate the impact on nearby properties. And then we require the site design and placement orient buildings in a compatible and appropriate manner. And as I mentioned earlier, they'll have the walls to property to the south. The existing building would screen the property to the west from the activity area. And so the site design should be able to accommodate the use and minimize the impact on nearby properties. And then the comprehensive plan recommends we evaluate commercial vehicle traffic impacts on the surrounding area and minimize commercial traffic to residential neighborhoods. And that's a factor that will be included with the site plan review. Prior to submitting the site plan application, they have to have a traffic impact study done by an engineer. They submit that and the city engineer reviews it. It uh, will analyze the amount of parking or traffic that's uh, estimated to occur with this use, the times of day it would occur and the routes it would take. And they would review that with our street network to determine whether our street network is sufficient for the use that's proposed or if any improvements were needed. And for industrial, they have very general site location requirements. Uh, they could be a range of use sizes. Um, they can have minimal slopes and they should not be located in the floodplain. Um, this is a fairly small size of the property for industrial zoning. It has no floodplain and it does have a slope, but there is no significant slopes on the property. Um, the industrial section also recommends that we review for compatibility with existing and future land use patterns. And um, with the site layout, it looks like it would be compatible. However, as the staff report notes, the limited industrial district does allow industrial and commercial uses, which may be too intense for this proximity to residential uses. And so staff is recommending conditional zoning to uh, limit the uses that are permitted. And then the residential section of the comprehensive plan recommends that we preserve and enhance the character elements of existing neighborhoods. Um, the existing structure, the limestone structure, uh, was built in about 1905. Um, it was previously used as a tavern, Charlie's Eastside Tavern, which was a character defining element of the neighborhood. The concept plan um, shows that they intend to preserve the limestone structure with the redevelopment. Preserving the limestone structure and maintaining the commercial nature of the property would preserve and enhance the site. And so we look at various other review criteria for rezoning. One is whether the rezoning and land use would be compatible with the zoning and land uses in the area. Um, the graphic on the left shows the various zoning districts already in the area. The subject property is part of the IG zoning district. To the east, we have multi-dwelling residential. Um, to the west, we have single dwelling residential. To the north, we have um, commercial strip, limited industrial, and general industrial. So there's a variety of zoning districts. The zoning district um, would be similar to the zoning districts that are currently in place. The land use map to the right shows that there are commercial uh, uses that's in the pink. Industrial is in the purple. Yellow is uh, single family residential. And then the tan color is multifamily residential. Um, it would maintain the commercial use that it's currently shown as, even though the property has been vacant for some time. This is how it's shown on the appraiser's, I'm sorry, on the appraiser's website. Another factor to consider is, is the zoning and land use that's being proposed compatible with the character of the area. And so for, for the neighborhood, 
So for the purpose of this review, we look at the neighborhood as the area that's likely to be impacted by the development. And as the notification letters are required to go out to property owners within 400 feet, that's the area that we look at. And so this shows an area generally about 400 feet from the subject property. And you can see the range of uses. North of 9th Street, there's quite a mix of uses with office, industrial, commercial, and then single dwelling and multi-dwelling further to the north. On 9th Street, on north and south side, there's a mix of uses. On the south side, we have institutional, manufacturing, residential, commercial, and multifamily, and then back to manufacturing. So there's a range, range of uses right along 9th Street. And then further to the south, there is single dwelling residential. So um, changing the zoning from general industrial to limited industrial for the restaurant use um, would be consistent with the land use pattern in the area and would not negatively impact the character of the neighborhood. There are other factors that we look at. Uh, one is, what is the suitability of the property for the uses to which it is currently restricted? It's currently zoned our most intensive zoning industrial district that we have. Uh, given the proximity to the residences, it's not a suitable property. And given the small size, it's not suitable for many of the uses allowed in this district. Um, it's also not suited for many of the industrial uses which are allowed in the um, limited industrial district and therefore conditional zoning is being recommended. And you'll notice in attachment B with the staff report, we have a use comparison table where we compare the uses in three districts. Uh, the first two columns compare the uses that are currently approved or allowed in the, the general industrial district with the uses that are allowed in the limited industrial district. And this illustrates the uses that are allowed in general industrial that would no longer be allowed in limited. And there are some high intensity uses that would be prohibited by the rezoning to limited industrial. But there'd be commercial uses that would be permitted in limited industrial, as well as other industrial uses. So we looked at comparing this with the uses that are allowed in the neighborhood commercial center district, as this is a district that's intended for development in close proximity to residences. So any use that is not allowed in the CN2 district, but is allowed in the limited industrial district is identified and is evaluated in that attachment. And that's how staff developed our list of prohibited uses that we're recommending. Um, all the uses in the CN2 district would be seen as being appropriate since that district was created for location in close proximity to residences. We look at how long the property has been vacant. The property was developed in 1905 and has a structure. However, that building was vacated in 2014 and it has not been used since. Uh, so it's been vacant, the building has for about seven years. Uh, we look at what detrimental impacts could occur with the rezoning. And so this is where we arrived at our list of um, prohibited uses. Uh, some of the uses that are allowed in the limited industrial district would be too intensive for such a small lot in such close proximity to residential uses. Or the proposed project, you know, along with the conditions, the proposed project would require approval of a major site plan and the site plan review that goes with that should ensure compatible mess with the nearby residential properties. We look at what would be the benefit to the public's health, safety, and welfare from the denial of the application versus the hardship to the applicant. Um, with the recommended prohibitions of uses, 
there would be no benefit to the public from the denial of the zoning request as it's seen as being compatible with residential development. And the hardship to the applicant would be that they could not develop the property um, with the restaurant. They would have to either develop with uses that are allowed in the IG district or um, submit another application for rezoning. So one of the criteria is staff's recommendation. And as you can see in the staff report, staff is recommending approval subject to the condition that a list of uses be uh, restricted. The retail market study is not required. That's only for zoning applications that are proposing over 100,000 square feet of commercial. And then there's a set of criteria that if we're re recommending conditional zoning to look at, is that reasonable? And the first uh, requirement is that the condition should facilitate a clear and specific goal, policy, or plan recommendation. And uh, the subject property is located within the East Lawrence Neighborhood Redevelopment Plan. And as discussed in the staff report, this is an action-based plan rather than a land use plan. And it encourages the retention of the mixed use nature of East Lawrence. The plan recommends that appropriate land use and zoning be maintained. And the proposed condition on this zoning would allow a mix of uses while ensuring compatibility with the nearby residential uses. And the proposed restricted uses also facilitate the comprehensive plan's goals for neighborhoods and housing provided in chapter four. And goal three is to preserve and enhance the character elements. And one of the action steps is to protect and improve the character and appearance of existing residential neighborhoods. And action step three dash three is define the character by highlighting places of meeting or the unique value of each neighborhood. Another criteria for conditional zoning is that there must be a clear harm or negative externality that we're addressing and the, um, the impact and the intensity of certain uses that are allowed in the IL district. Um, would be avoided with the conditional zoning. And then the last is that the lesser change table cannot be employed. And as I mentioned, there is a lesser change table that recommends you could either go from limited industrial to the CN2 district, neighborhood commercial, or the IBP industrial business park district. These would both be seen as lesser changes and these could occur without any additional notice um, if the planning commission felt that was appropriate. The IBP district has a requirement of five acres as it's meant to be provide an industrial business park appearance. So the site is too small for IBP. The CN2 district is not being recommended because it has locational intentions noted in the development code that are not met at this location. Uh, the development code notes that neighborhood commercial centers are intended to be located at least one mile from another commercial center. And in this case, there's commercial development across 9th Street. Um, it also notes that commercial neighborhood centers are intended to be located at collector arterial street intersections or arterial arterial street intersections. And in this case, um, Pennsylvania Street and 9th Street are both local streets. So this would be a local local street intersection. And it also recommends that they be uh, located where there is only development on one corner of the property. And in this case, two corners of the property are developed within um, commercial uses and the third corner is zoned for industrial uses. So while these intent are intentions and not requirements, the fact that none are met at this location could make this an unsuitable property for CN2 zoning, and therefore staff recommended the IL zoning. However, if the planning commission determines that CN2 is a more suitable district than the IL district, it would be possible to rec forward the request to the city commission with a recommendation to rezone to the CN2 district without the need for additional public notice. The item would move to the CC with the recommendation to rezone to CN2 
and without the conditions prohibiting uses. We received several communications which are included in your packet, and I was just going to kind of touch upon some of them. Um, there was some concerns that there were no conditions being recommended with this rezoning that would limit the operating hours of the restaurant or place restrictions on outdoor amplified music. And these are conditions that are typically placed on special use permits rather than rezoning. The property is not limited to only a restaurant use. There's a range of uses that could occur. Um, they're planning on a restaurant and they've showed us how they would develop if they do develop at the restaurant. But we don't typically place this specific of conditions on rezoning applications. Um, with the site plan review, uh, the intention is to develop the site and orient the buildings in such a way that there are not negative impacts to nearby properties, um, regardless of the time of day. Uh, there was concern with increased traffic and parking issues along Pennsylvania Street. And as mentioned, parking would be addressed with the site plan and uh, traffic would be reviewed and addressed with the traffic impact study. Um, they would like a better transition to the neighborhood than the restaurant that's being proposed. And there are several very specific questions on the site plan, such as how tall would that deck be? How would the noise be mitigated? And these questions would be reviewed at the site plan level. And I just want to touch on how the site plans are reviewed. Uh, before the applicant submits a site plan, they mail notice out to everyone within the 400 foot notification area, all property owners and to the neighborhood association. And we always recommend that they speak with these people beforehand, meet with them and discuss the project, but they have to mail this notification letter. And therefore there are people are aware that it's being submitted to the planning office. If they contact the planning office, we send them copies of the site plan. Um, they can provide comments to us, which we will forward on to the applicant, um, and we'll return revised plans to them so they can be very involved in the plan review process. We're happy to meet with the neighbors. And um, a final step in the site plan is that when the determination is made by the planning director, the neighborhood association, the property owners within 400 feet, or the applicant can appeal the decision whether it is approval denial or approval with conditions they can appeal that to the city commission so there's quite a lot of involvement in the site plan review and there were some concerns with the fact that the building would be larger and also with the uh, impact of the dumpster on the alleyway with the high pedestrian traffic and so staff's recommendation is for approval of the rezoning request to the il district and forwarding that to the city commission with a recommendation for approval subject to the condition restricting the uses. However, the planning commission does have the option to recommend rezoning to the CN2 district without conditions. And that concludes my presentation. I believe the applicant is present today. Thank you, Mary. Um, yes, it's now time to hear from the applicant. Is this uh, uh, Patrick Watkins? Yeah, thank you, commissioner. Um, is there any time limit that I should be aware of? 10 minutes, please. Okay, I'll try and get it in in 10 minutes. There's a lot of people here and there's been a lot of concerns. And so I wanna be thorough. Um, I do have some presentation materials. Um, okay. Um. I'll just use this. Um, good evening, commissioners. My name is Patrick Watkins. I'm an attorney. I'm here on behalf of Brad Ziegler, the applicant here. Um, he is under contract to purchase this building at 900 Pennsylvania, and I call it Charlie's East Side, just for 
ease of reference. But I'm really pleased to be here. I'm pleased to introduce this project to you uh, for a number of reasons. This project follows the success of a number of great projects that have rehabilitated 100-year-old plus masonry brick buildings in this district. Um, and over the past 10 years or so, we've, we've seen new life breathed into the polar lofts, into Bonbon, Cider Gallery, Poultry Building. And, and this project just builds upon that. Um, this is all part of a larger, longer term redevelopment plan that's happened in East Lawrence in, in this district. And if you're not familiar with it, I know some of you are new, but there's something called the 8th and Penn Redevelopment Zone. Um, this is forecasting all of this redevelopment and it's great long-term planning by your commission that was involved by the city of Lawrence. It was enacted in 2006. And I just wanna kind of introduce that because there is a broader story to be told here about the success of this district. It's in large part to forward-thinking commissions and forward-thinking planners. Um, this project saves a building that ought to be saved. Unlike Bon Bon, Poultry, uh, poultry building, cider gallery, this property is not protected by historic covenants, by historic preservation code. So this is a little bit unique from those other pro projects. Another reason why this project is unique is that it will add a neighborhood friendly restaurant to the area. Um, these neighborhood friendly restaurants have become so enjoyable. Bon Bon was around for a little while and I think they're on hiatus right now. Culinaria is just down the street. Lawrence Beer Company, um, all of these restaurants have residential neighbors. Lawrence Beer Company has 14 units on the second and third floor. Uh, the Polar Lofts oversees the dining area for Bon Bon. So I, I wanted to get that out there because I think that's really what this is building on. This is, and this is in line with and in sync with the goals of that redevelopment plan that, that mixes uses. Um, and for this property, it's calling for a reopening of a neighborhood establishment even maintaining some of the things that the neighborhood grew to appreciate about Charlie's, like a taco night. Um, and, and perhaps the best thing about this project, and, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about it, is that it's got Brad Ziegler behind it. He's a local restaurateur. He's got a track record of being able to pull this off with historic buildings, with local uh, neighborhood restaurants that can be appreciated by the neighborhood. He just finished Big Mill. And if you haven't been there, it's, it's a good example of exactly this type of project. It's much bigger than this site can afford to be. Um, and it's a much bigger building, but it is a historic building that's been converted into uh, a neighborhood restaurant. And, and I think it makes a great comparison. And that's one of the reasons this particular application is so exciting for me. And so our first step in this process was to meet with city staff, figure out what it takes to get a restaurant at this site. And it's kind of strange to think about asking for permission to have a restaurant because this site's been used since the 70s as a restaurant and bar. Um, but currently this property, as Mary mentioned, and she did a nice job with her, um, her summary, but it's general industrial. Uh, that's the current zoning destination. It allows a range of uses that are not compatible with residential areas. We're talking about explosive storage, intensive industrial uses, truck stops, heavy equipment, IG is not appropriate. That's its current zoning designation. We met with city staff. We identified the zoning categories that could be considered. Um, and ultimately IL was picked and it was picked almost ex exclusively because it allows a quality restaurant and it fits the criteria for a rezoning. The other zoning designations didn't match up. Now, Mary had some discussion about how CN2 could work and I'm not opposed to those 
to that discussion, but I think it's a bit of a, a perversion of the code to think that CN2 would be more applicable in this area than just a slight uh, rezoning, downzoning from IG to IL, but we can talk about that. As a second step, Brad started working with Mike Myers and Stan Hernley at Hernley Architects. They started looking at how can we design this site to make sure that it's compatible with the neighborhood, um, keeping in mind the transition to the residents on the south. And, and the initial draft designs have all contemplated the same approach, preserving the building, first of all, adding space for ADA access and bathrooms, accessibility and code-related requirements, but using the improvements to create a buffer. I heard from Brad today that the bathroom area at Big Mill is bigger than one floor of this building. So you, you can't really do much at this site without getting an addition in. Projecting the restaurant activity to the north and other commercial properties, all of the designs have taken off the front porch of the, of the, of the front of the property to keep the activity away from the neighbors. I do want to move forward. This is a great picture. You can see the backside of it. These are Swedish stonemasons from the 1920s. This is its current arrangement, and you can see that porch really does extend far to the south. And so when, when Brad and Mike started dreaming up how this property could interact, well, let's take off the front of this thing so we don't extend further toward the residential neighbors. This is the development design guidelines, and this is uh, some of the first conceptual renderings of what a site could look like. And as you can see in that blue area, that's the addition. We're stacking it up at the south end so that we can project everything to the north. The building itself would be able to act as a sound barrier, masonry building, uh, to keep any sound from moving further to the south. Next, we began talking to the neighbors. Uh, Brad secured a lease agreement with Tony Kresnick, who owns a parking lot across the street. Um, we've been told that this parking lot uh, is not site planned yet and we'll have to get a variance for it and we're fine with that, but we think that this uh, lease agreement at a minimum will be helpful for parking. We met with the neighborhood association and members. We met with property owners up and down the street to get their feedback and, and we began talking to Bruce and Jackie. They are the neighbors to the south and they are the most impacted. We went ahead and just embraced it. Uh, they are too close to not talk to them. Uh, and they are also friends of mine and quite reasonable people. And admittedly, we started very broad, trying to think about how we can accommodate. And I think we addressed a lot of concerns. And a lot of things had already been done by Mike and, and Brad early in the conceptual phases of design. But we tried to talk about everything. Um, and unfortunately, we're not able to meet um, you know, their, their requests for hours of operation um, limitations, and, and we just didn't find common ground, but, but Brad was willing to make a, a number of commitments to them, regardless of their support, uh, regardless of whether or not they could reach an agreement on hours of operation or anything else. So I, wanna, I do want to identify those. Um, he's committed to working in good faith to integrate their commentary into his design process, uh, his landscaping, his building and site plan, his dumpster and, and hood locations, um, lighting and noise reduction, um, to keep Bruce and Jackie in, in the process and take their input, um, to design the site, to project to the north, creating screening and buffers to their house and, and other residences. Uh, and, and while we don't expect there to be a great deal of noise from a restaurant of this type, um, Bruce and Jackie had concerns about it, and, and so Brad made the commitment to offer to put soundproofing storm windows on, on the historic part of their, their property, just as a, a specific thing to them. Their, their house, I think it actually might extend over the property line, but it's quite close. And it might be able to buffer out the train noises that you hear every night. It's only a block away. If there's stuff going on at Beer Company or Cider Gallery, which they say they can hear, it, it would block that out too. Um, so those are the commitments that 
Brad was willing to make regardless of, of getting any support from them because just as a good neighbor, I think he wanted to step out and do that. Um, we've also read correspondence that's been submitted by a few neighbors and, and there's plenty of comments and I don't want to lose my time here, but I want to say that we, um, there's a number of statements from a couple of letters that are just flat, flat out false and it's hard to hear some of these things that are said, especially when they attribute quotes to you. Um, but I think I can suffice it to say that, um, you know, we disagree with a lot of the contentions. I would also say that um, from a planning standpoint, I think there's an issue, and Mary mentioned it, and I don't know if you could catch it all, but trying to um, condition this zoning on limitations on hour of, hours of operation, I think you have some difficulty from a policy perspective. I think you should rely on staff. Um, if you have questions about applying a condition like that, I think you'll find that it's not done. Um, I think you'll find that it's integrated into the site planning process, which comes after this rezoning. Um, I should also note that there's uh, four positive letters of support. Tony Kresnick, Zach Bollock, um, Michael Kirkendall all support this project. And this is a remarkable project. It builds up on so much. It, it'll save a historic building. It brings neighborhood restaurant in an area that's been well suited for it since the 1970s. It builds upon the success of the warehouse district. I'll end it there and we'll be available for questions. Thank you. I'm sure we will have questions. Um, so uh, I'm going to open this up now for public comment. Uh, we'll start with people in the room who have been waiting patiently for this item to come across. So if you step to the podium and state your name, you have three minutes for public comment. I think I'll go first. Just because I brought a picture, so it's a, it's a little clearer of of maybe what we want to show. So I don't know who should, but she's right there doing it. So I'll just wait till she gets that up. Could you give your name, please? Yes, Sharia Vet Forsyth. I live at 925 Delaware Street. Thank you. I own that house. Um, the first slide would be amazing, just the first picture of the PDF, if you could bring that up. There it is, yeah, it's like, I think I'm on somebody else's deck. There we go. That'll be perfect. Thank you. I think the main thing that I really want to point out here is if you just see the stacks of residential behind where they're proposing this, this building, I feel like it's being misconstrued that that area is actually mixed use. I think that they're letting you think that, or it's at least in this plan that this, this area is divided up. We have a bunch of things going on in that area that is commercial or industrial, and we don't. It's all residential with the grade school two blocks over. <coughs> so the, the traffic down the alleyway um, between Pennsylvania and Delaware is highly trafficked by children, by people with pets, on bikes, walking. And, and I just feel like I know this tavern has been here a long time and I'd love to see a good use for it. I'm just not confident that industrial is the right direction. So I think the main thing I wanted to point out was I was looking at the plans and I also think they talk about putting noise to the north and those are offices. There's an architect there. So I just kind of, I don't really understand when there is architectural offices, you know, knowledge work on one side and then residences on all the other, how we put that type of activity there or industrial zoning. So I'm really questioning the zoning tonight um, and wondering if that's the right, the right zoning. So I'm going to try to drive on this. Okay, great. And I think the one thing I found that really helped me 
was when we were discussing this, we were like, I just don't know that that's the right fit. And I think this is exactly why. I think this proposal for like the cultural plan of the cultural district really kind of brings all the neighbors that I spoke with what we would love to see happen here. Um, and if you look at everything they brought, you know, in this, this professional report submitted to you about, you know, bringing cultural stuff to Lawrence, and they use our neighborhood wall as an example, and below it, they, they kind of list like all the things that would contribute to culture. And then they have a survey across all zip codes. And the first thing you see is arts, culture, and creative activities. And you see other things. And I just don't know that we have to settle for a restaurant in this historic building. I mean, could it, could it be an East Lawrence Museum? Could it be you know, a bakery, something craftsmanship driven? Um, I think my only thing that really struck me about this is the industrial zoning, especially when they went through this part of the proposal. I'll go down. I studied the uses from the sign, and they didn't match up. But they start to look at here, all the exclusions that we have to place upon this. So they're going to give us this limited industrial zoning, but then they're going to exclude like 20 things that would be super scary and inappropriate for the neighborhood. So I don't understand why we're not moving towards the right zoning for the neighborhood, why we're not moving towards something that can be used creatively and culturally, something that could be used, I mean, I want the Del Campos to get full investment out of the property, but I don't think that has to happen in the form of a restaurant. And I do think that the use of the property was special use. Thank you. So that's it. Thank you. Anybody else in the audience who would like to speak to this issue? Yeah. Hi, my name is Phil Collison. and. I represent the Penn Street, Penn Street Line LLC, and we own the house directly across the street at 901 Pennsylvania Street. And uh, there's a few points I'd like to make. I did submit a letter, and uh, I hope you read it. And uh, I'd just like to reiterate that one of the alignments, the first thing the agenda report shows is that the alignment to the strategic plan is strong, welcoming neighborhoods. And I, I'm going to reiterate what another commenter said tonight for an earlier thing, that the city really needs to develop some metrics to be able to determine whether or not the impact on strong, welcoming neighborhoods is positive or ne negative. And I think that this is a negative impact to the uh, to strong, welcoming neighborhoods. Um, the biggest issues that we have are with noise hours and, uh, and just the the gigantics, the size of this development. Um, they will know, they, they know they will make a lot of noise that needs mitigation. They're gonna have, at 11 o'clock, they're gonna turn on the outdoor music and the outdoor TVs, and it's gonna turn off at some later time to be determined, and uh, all the other restaurants around there, I think Beer Company, we figured out, closes at nine o'clock. Everything else is closed by 10. Uh, live and work go really well together. Most of the commercial uh, Developments are workplaces that close at five o'clock. Uh, I did say in my letter that this is the only one that will be impacting, that's a restaurant that's impacting the neighborhoods. Every other one of them is at least across the alley or across the street. This one directly butts up on somebody's backyard and it's gonna be 10 feet away from, from their windows. Um, one thing I didn't point out is that trash will be overflowing and smelly, uh, and that's the nature of, of uh, 
dumpsters. I'm going to say also this is not a small uh, d development. Three, this is three times the, char uh, the size of Charlie's. Charlie's was a small neighborhood bar that wasn't frequented very much. And, uh, and this is three times bigger. The scale is just way too big. Um, they, you know, they have a good intentions that they're going to save the building and preserve the building. However, they say in the staff report that if we find out the structural of in integrity of the building won't work, we're going to tear it down. Um, there are, I guess I also want to point out the uh, different goals of the city where uh, the Section 11 points out to preserve and enhance the characteristics of exist existing neighborhoods. Uh, I don't think that this restaurant does anything to help the integrity of, of our neighborhood. Uh, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to run out of time. And I'm going to say this proposed development would be an intensively sized restaurant, the maximum size that could possibly be built on a 5,800 square foot lot. Without conditions in place on the noise and the hour and a better transition to the neighborhood, this project should be rejected. Please live up to the goals of the city's strategic plan by making this project income become something that is an enhancement to strong, welcoming neighborhoods. Thank this you. This project That's negatively impacts its neighbors. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Jackie Counts. I live at 904 Pennsylvania. I submitted a letter as well and was asked to read the um, comments from a neighbor who couldn't be here tonight. Um, so these meeting notes are from James Duft and Jessica Kellner, and they live at 917 Delaware. And I read as follows. As residents of the 900 block of Delaware, we share in our neighbors' concerns about the pr proposed rezoning and development of 900 Pennsylvania. We enjoy our neighborhood's lively and family-friendly culture, and we support the development of a business at 900 Pennsylvania that meaningfully contributes to this culture. However, without clarity around the plans, restrictions, and opportunities posed by the project, it's impossible for us to support it in its current state. A few reasonable concerns are shared by many homeowners in our area, which we feel would logically be concerns of anyone living near a business within hundreds of feet of their home. Number one, light and noise pollution. What regulations and assurances is the developer willing to make and be legally bound to around light and noise pollution that will affect our neighborhood and our neighbors? Number two, hours of operation. The many successful businesses in our neighborhood respectfully close operations by 10 p.m. Our understanding is that the developer is not willing to be legally bound by these respectful hours. Number three, parking and traffic. There are already a number of safety concerns around traffic and parking in our neighborhood, particularly concerning there are numerous children and pets in the area, not to mention an elementary school within two blocks of the proposed development. What assurances guarantees can we receive that both parking and traffic will be addressed? Uh, number four, building site expansion and capacity. It's our understanding that no assurances have been made or communicated around the capacity of the proposed businesses. A small neighborhood business would be welcome, but um, a BM, uh, behemoth, sorry, this is truly not my letter, um, that dominates the neighborhood and creates both safety and transportation challenges for residents would not. How is this being addressed? We are not open to losing access to our parking areas to accommodate a new business. 
Given all these issues, we respectfully request that a decision on this development be postponed until the developer can make an effort to allay our concerns and be legally bound to restrictions, accommodations to ensure the safety, culture, and well-being of our neighborhood. And that's the end of that letter. Um, but the other thing that I'd like to share that um, I realized today is that since the plan was passed on um, strong and welcoming neighborhoods, our entire society has changed. And so now it's not just a residential area, it's also a place of work for people during the day. And it kind of pains me a little bit that we're talking about mixed use of something that wouldn't be in the rhythm with the neighborhood, and that something a restaurant could open at 11 or noon, have outside TVs, have you know amplified music, and go on till who knows when. So um, for those reasons, I think we should take into consideration the changes in society and look at how we're going to represent um, to people who might want to move to Lawrence into a strong and welcoming neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. Other public comment from people present? <laughs> Good evening. I'm Marcy Francisco. I live at 1101 Ohio, but I'm also a member of Penn Street Line that owns 901 Pennsylvania. So um, I remember being at city commission and planning commission meetings some years ago, and the staff could remind me when, before there was a Charlie's. And a request was made of the um, planning Commission to allow this site to become residential. That was denied. And it was denied because they said it's commercial zoning. We can't have residential in commercial zoning. So that's how we got Charlie's. We got Charlie's because the city said, we know better. Um, we don't think that this small stone building that was built as residential should be able to remain residential because we've put it as a different zoning type on our map. So for a number of years now, we've had Charlie's and that was fine. This is, this change in zoning would allow one additional expansion and quite a large expansion. And so once again, it would be a recommendation from the Planning Commission and the City Commission to take a small-scale residential building and say, make it something else. Um, I don't know that this is what the neighbors want. I don't believe that this is appropriate for the size of the lot. The zoning was never appropriate for the size of the lot. So one thing that's helped with the current zoning is nobody's going to use it for what you have it zoned for. Um, I don't have a good recommendation, but I really hate to see um, the proposal that this would be better for the neighborhood when in no way, as has been stated, it protects this existing building. Um, this zoning would still allow that building to be torn down. 
it in no way protects the um, neighborhood in a way that allows mixed use with appropriate hours. Um, people would love a place to go and have lunch or an early dinner. That's, as my understanding, not what is being proposed. So um, the other properties that have been transitioned have not been single family residents. Please think carefully about your decision. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you for being here and devoting your time to this process. Uh, my name is Uma Outka. I'm a resident of 927 Delaware Street. Uh, my, I've lived there with my family for the last eight years. Um, for that entire time period, the tavern of a former tavern in question has been in essentially the state that you see it now. Um, I honestly find it to be a charming structure, as many of us do. Um, but this is a plan that is really concerning to us on the block. The alleyway in particular is, as the planner cited from my letter, we submitted a letter that I hope you've been able to see. It is a, an alley that is where all of us who live on both the Pennsylvania side and the Delaware side, we use that alley to access our homes, our gardens. We walk, we bike, we run every single day for eight years along there. And this plan concerns me a lot to see that there's gonna be a two-story restaurant proposed with dumpsters facing that alley. And I know from walking in the alleyway behind downtown what those smell like. This is not appropriate to this site. The scale of, and of significantly increased intensity and if you think about the, uh, the mix of use, throughout the plan, there's a characterization of East Lawrence as mixed use. But I think Cherie said it well, that the, there are a mix of uses in our, town, in our neighborhood. But that means that the choice of what goes where really, really matters. It has to be this delicate balance. So I invite you to walk along there, see this particular corner, this particular site, and what it would mean to this location. It will radically change the neighborhood scale of that whole corner. So we can talk about some of the other charming restaurants that we do have in the neighborhood. Note that Culinaria is open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It is not next to homes. It's not on a block that is entirely residential, right? We have a we have uh, Lawrence Beer Co's open till nine, except on Friday and Saturday. They don't do uh, amplified music. Um, Decade is called a restaurant in the plan. It's actually a coffee shop. They don't have a big, um, uh, 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 you know, kitchen with big dumpsters or anything like that. What makes East Lawrence work? What its livability depends on is very careful mix of uses. So I think there are a lot of suitable things that might be able to be proposed here. I just really don't think this is it for this neighborhood. And I think all that one has to do is walk down there and imagine living next to it, see how it changes what, we're, what we live with today, and see that it's just not the right thing. So I think the industrial to light industrial doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot in the report about why the commercial doesn't work. That's kind of frustrating as a neighborhood member to just see that the one that seems right or residential, hardly mentioned, just doesn't, isn't being made available. If we really just say what to do with this site, let's, let's um, you know, push, not rezone for something that's um, just not a fit for this, for this site in this neighborhood. So thank you for the opportunity to share my perspectives. Thank you. 
Hey everybody, my name's Mike Dever. I live at 728 North Blazing Star Drive. Um, my office is located about uh, four blocks west of this location and I have been familiar with the neighborhood for over 20 years. Um, back when the city of Lawrence was considering redeveloping the north side of Pennsylvania Street, north of 9th Street, I went down there and took a good look at the neighborhood. And what we found there was industrial land. And the entire section of that northern and eastern area was industrial land for much of Lawrence's history. The building at 900 Pennsylvania is a sentinel in that area. It has stood on that hilltop since 1873 at least. I've done lots of research on that building. I wanted to buy it at one time because I believed it deserved to be preserved. And some of the complaints that people have, I understand, it's their neighborhood, it's their backyard. But in the past, there was over 50,000 gallons of fuel stored in the backyard of where the neighbors live right now. And in fact, when Bruce bought that house and he rehabilitated, Charlie's was empty, and so was the house that he rehabilitated. But he chose to live next to this house, which was a bar in its last iteration, and he invested thousands and hundreds of thousands of his own money into that property. And we all trusted him, and he did a great job in rehabilitating that neighborhood. But in my opinion, this is a neighborhood that deserves to have some sort of services that are also geared towards the neighbors. I've read some of the information in the packets and said nobody in the neighborhood is going to use a restaurant here. I find that hard to believe. I believe that if people had a place to eat, had a place to go, they would go there on foot. And it would not be a burden on traffic. It would not be a burden on parking. It would be a traditional walkable neighborhood. And I believe that that's the way this building should be preserved. Finally, I'm really concerned about these um, concerns about whether or not this building would be torn down. And to me, that would be the worst thing that could happen. Because this building needs to be preserved. And it's going to require a lot of money to do the the right kind of job. I can tell you this because I inspect buildings for a living and I know what it takes. And this building has been there longer than almost any single house in this neighborhood. This neighborhood has been surrounded by industrial land use for over 100 years. So this sliver of neighborhood has sustained and persisted, and I think it should continue to. But I don't think it should be at the, at the, um, to the um, negative benefit of the taxpayers for Lawrence. The city of Lawrence has invested over a million dollars in the 9th Street Corridor and the Pennsylvania North Brick Roads, money that many people complained about spending. Many of the same neighbors that are here tonight probably were against us intensifying that land use. But I think it turned out pretty good, and I think Charlie's could turn out pretty good, too. Thanks. Thank you. My name's Jay Taylor. Uh, I'm a commercial real estate broker that works for the Del Campo family. Um, Charlie, specifically, and his mother. Um, I've, had that, I've had that property listed. I've got an interesting lens. I've had that property listed with the Del Campos for probably about three years. I think we started talking in 2019. Um, and it's been an interesting journey. I'm drawn to those properties. I'm drawn to the neighborhood. I love the neighborhood. I loved Charlie's when it was open. Uh, probably shouldn't admit that maybe I was there once or twice because um, I'm well. We won't go there, but um, but I've got an interesting lens because uh, Charlie has been Charlie and his family have been protective of that of that real estate and protector protective of that building. Um, we've had 
very limited interest in that zoning and, and people are scared away by this process. Um, but Charlie, Charlie and his family have, have really been protective around um, how they want to see the next chapter of that building used, how, how they want to see that building used. Um, you know, Charlie came into some health, health issues. They've had some, um, some family events um, that have dinged them a bit. And I've, I've, worked, I've worked with them alongside that. It's been unbelievable getting to know them, just pure local Lawrence people. Um, and I can tell you, they want nothing but the best. And, you know, we have talked to, we've had talked to a few people in three years, but um, when Brad came along, he, he, really, he really sees, um, he really shares the vision for how that family feels that that next chapter should go. Um, you know, it's fun listening to them beatbox around and, and chat around, um, you know, what it could be, how we could revitalize and reactivate that real estate. It's been vacant since, since 2014, I think. And, um, and prior to that, I think when the family came into it, it was a, it was a very dilapidated structure, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, but I come up here as somebody that's worked hard on that, on that property for that family. Um, and have had have had very little activity and interest, and you know that that says something about me. But we all we all understand what type of project that I, that is. Um, but we found something that you know I I feel really accentuates that neighborhood. I mean that's my personal opinion, um, and I'm excited about it. But um, but I do want to say that we've tried hard to market that property, very hard, um, and we've 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 marketed it for a long period of time. And it's interesting when people say, why can't we do this with a property? Why can't we do that with a property? Um, and it's always, it, it always kind of makes me laugh a little bit inside because I'm like, we, we could. I mean, it just takes somebody to come along and do that. Um, so thanks for your time and, uh, and thanks for what you do. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Paul Outka. I live at 927 Delaware, um, and uh, I'm I'm here to speak against this project. Um, and I'm joined by I think almost everybody who actually lives on this street, right? Who lives in the in the residential neighborhood that is going to be affected by this, is here speaking against the project. So the people that live there uh, seem to are the, and that are speaking here. Right, are people that don't want this to happen or have serious questions about what was proposed. Right, so if the goal is to have a project that is, fits the neighborhood, that is well integrated into the community in which it's going to be located, um, it doesn't seem that given that people who are speaking here and the people I've talked to who live there want this, right? So it's not well integrated in other words. Um, at least as far as the people who dwell there. And there's a reason for that. And I think, would you want to live next to a three, I mean, directly next to a 3,000 square foot restaurant with vent hoods? And would you want to walk next to the dumpsters every single day on your main route with your kids and your pets, right? Would you want to be next to a restaurant, directly next to a restaurant in the case of Bruce and Jackie that had no limits, that they're willing to agree to on their hours or the noise, right? Of course you wouldn't. There's nothing wrong with such restaurants, but you wouldn't want to live next to it, right? 
that would not be something you would want. There's a reason why people are not psyched about this. Now, I am not in any way opposed to development, right, in general, right, or in this particular lot. I go to Decade all the time. That's where I loved, it's my favorite coffee shop, right? Um, we, our house is full of plants from Jungle House. My house, my old Volvo gets fixed at Slimmers like every other week, <laughs> right? Um, so I have no like good neighbors that fit with the residence, residential kind of pattern. I'm from cities. I like mixed use neighborhoods, right? I like having commercial and so forth, but they gotta fit, and this one doesn't, right? And you know that if you wouldn't want to live next to it, it's no surprise that we don't want to live next to it, right? Necessarily. Many other things would work. I don't think this is the one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Mick Palmer. I live at 901 Pennsylvania, right across the street. I'm also a member of the uh, uh, Penn Street Line LLC that owns the house. Um, I've lived there since uh, 2008. And uh, I guess we all know that it's gone through, the whole neighborhood has gone through quite a few changes since 2008. Um, all of the development to the north, obviously. Uh, Charlie's was still open for the first several years I was there. And, uh, you know, it was never really a problem. You know, it was that there weren't big crowds. There weren't, you know, lots of overwhelming parking ever, really. Um, but I don't see that, you know, remaining the same with this development. I mean, if, if it's, it's going to be a su successful restaurant, there's going to be cars on Pennsylvania Street. I mean, they, there might be parking elsewhere, but people are, you know, they're going to park the closest spot they can find, and that's going to be Pennsylvania Street. So I'll lose, you know, on-street parking. I'll have to develop some sort of off-street parking, probably. Um, at any rate, I just want to say that uh, the the logical zoning for this lot and proper zoning should be residential. That it's not is, you know, there's a long history behind that that Marcy um, brought up. But um, yeah, I don't I don't see how this is going to fit into the to the residential nature of the of this of this neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello, my name is Barry Shalinsky, 645 Connecticut Street, uh, and I happen to be the president of the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association. Uh, I recall watching a video of a zoning, uh, rezoning application in this general area several months ago, and uh, the Planning Commission had a very long discussion about where's Elna? Well, we're here. Uh, my message today is a pretty simple one. Listen to the neighbors. They are the people who are affected by what happens. Uh, as has been stated, this is a uh, historic stone building. Um, well over 120 years old. The bar use began in 1980. Uh, 
it was controversial at that time and the subject of lengthy litigation. Um, despite the uh, statement in the staff report, um, its use as a bar is not iconic and character defining for the neighborhood. Uh, the building itself is, but the commercial use not necessarily. Um, Elna is not taking a position on the rezoning, uh, and we have no particular objection to a restaurant use per se. The issue is the conditions that it is subject to, or in this case, not subject to. Uh, others in this area have a 45 to 55 um, alcohol to food ratio. Uh, no such condition is being proposed here. No restrictions on hours of operation, uh, no restrictions on outside amplified noise. Um, there's every reason to believe the op uh, operator has every good intention to be a good neighbor, but good intentions can change with subsequent owners. Zoning is to the land, not to the land owner or user. I've been reminded of this several times, and so I'm going to state it back. Um, there is nothing to prevent a subsequent user from doing anything allowed in the zone, and there's nothing to prevent them from tearing the building down. So I urge you to use great care and caution in your decision. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else present in the room who would like to speak to this issue? Yes. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Bruce Eggers. Uh, I live at 904 Pennsylvania. Uh, you received a letter from uh, myself and Jackie. Um, everybody's already kind of spoken to everything I was going uh, to say, so I'll leave that at that. Um, one thing I would mention is when we, we bought that house off of Craigslist after it stood vacant uh, for a long time, uh, the center section, uh, which is visible from the north, uh, uh, from 9th Street, uh, is a Civil War cabin uh, from the, you know, predates the Civil War. Uh, the front part of the house, which you can see from Pennsylvania Street, uh, was an addition that was put on like in 1880 or something. We would have saved an awful lot of money by bulldozing the whole mess and just putting the house that we have there. But we kept all that stuff because we thought it was important uh, in the neighborhood to have just this, the normal street view. And we think, well, the back of the house kind of coordinates with the more industrial style buildings that are back uh, there. Um, so it really matters to me that, you know, we put a lot of effort into preserving this building. Uh, and I think uh, it would be, this idea that they're talking about, I think is a great idea. It just needs to be somewhere else uh, based on the size and the scale of it. Uh, it's, um, doesn't fit in there. I mean, it's just, it's too large, I guess is basically what it is. I think everybody in here has spoken to something 
which is very true, which is the zoning for that property is wrong, uh, which makes it kind of unsellable and unusable. Uh, but the zoning to accommodate a big facility like this, I don't think is really in keeping with what anybody here in the neighborhood has said uh, that they're okay with. Um, and the other thing that, just as a thought experiment, when I was talking with Patrick once, I said, well, you know, we're, I'm a pretty reasonable guy, everybody is here. Ask Mr. Ziegler, uh, if I was proposing to build this property this close to his house where he lives, what are some reasonable objections he would have? And um, what are plausible solutions that he would propose? Put those in a letter, give them to me. And that's what I'll read at, at the first opportunity I get. Uh, that letter was never forthcoming. We did get some stuff that doesn't look like it's going to work. And you can, I don't know if you have that letter uh, from Pat, but it's a bunch of stuff that involves us taking a lot of externalities uh, from his business operation, which would be uh, noise, light pollution, and uh, odor from the dumpsters. If there's questions about the dumpsters, please go down to Big Mill and just take a look at what that is like. Uh, it's a lot farther away from his building than his dumpsters are going to be from mine. Uh, so anyway, I think that was about it. I really appreciate uh, what you're doing. Uh, but no, I can't support this at all. Uh, I think it does need to be rezoned. Uh, some other adaptive reuse would be great. Uh, there's lots of ways that building could be used um, that won't uh, mess up the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment from those here in the room? If not, I will turn to online. Any online comments? Uh, if you are out there, you can either unmute or raise your hand. Okay, I'm not seeing any online comments and comments for in-person are done, so I'll turn it back to the applicant for a response. Hello, my name is Brad Ziegler. I'm the applicant. Uh, I wasn't really planning on speaking too much tonight. That's why I brought Pat, but I would like to point out there's just a lot of mistruth being brought up tonight about the size of this building. I asked an architectural firm to just give me a kind of a layout of what what could we do, what could work here, and no, I didn't say give me a 1,200 square foot building, give me a 3,000 square foot. This is just this is the next phase. We're just trying to get to can we do it? Is it possible? Um, and, and trying to work with the neighbors um, and have integrity and, and speak the truth, and I will do that with these with this neighborhood. That's my intentions from the very beginning. Uh, I didn't come in here trying to be the bad guy. I feel like, wow, I'm just as you don't want it. I guess I get it. You don't want it, but at least let's talk about what's really being proposed and not scare tactics that this is going to be some monstrosity that it's not. Um, I would be fine leaving Charlie's exactly how it is. The city won't allow that to happen. By the time I put ADA bathrooms in it, there's no bar left. It's 600 square feet on the top floor, 600 in the basement. That's two bathrooms, basically. I mean, there's no way to, I mean, I still have to make money at the, at, on this project. And so expanding and putting a commercial kitchen in it takes some space. It's not taking 3,000 square feet or 5,700 square feet like people have suggested. That's just not true. So um, with that, I'm obviously a little bit <laughs> frazzled by what I've heard tonight, but I'll let my... Uh, Pat, speak for uh, the rest of our comments. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to follow up on a couple of things that I've heard, but one of the things I didn't get to say earlier was that um, this rezoning to IL does not permit a bar. It does not a permit a brew pub. It does not permit a lounge. 
Uh, Mary worked with us to find very sensitive regulations. I think they've crafted a thoughtful staff report, a thorough one, one that limits the potential uses. Now, you've already heard that this, this property's been through a denial on a residential use in the past. If it's not going to be used for IL, and C, commercial designations are not available. What options are available to the Del Campos who've owned this for um, as long as it's been used recently? But what options are available? What would you have them do? Um, we don't want to give you that sort of power because um, or we, don't want, we can't obviously just open it up to anybody's feasibility studies, but this works. We have a restaurateur who has a track record of making this work. We have long-term planning that calls for this. We have neighborhood restaurants that work in this neighborhood. This is no different. Um, and, and I'm really pleased to be a part of a project that's been th so thoughtful and proactive about seeking neighborhood input. There's a double-edged sword to that. You get a lot of neighborhood input and, and everybody's aware of exactly what you're doing. Um, but in this case, we reached out. We thought about how we could compromise how we can design this site to make it fit. Um, the site planning process allows all of this feedback to be integrated. It's part of, as Mary mentioned, and as you've heard previously, there's a public notice that goes out with site planning. There's plenty of public input that goes in there. And if people are aggrieved with that process, there is a public hearing process that goes along with appealing a site plan. Um, it's an ambitious process to put after Brad's due diligence will run. Um, but this is the first step. Can the site be rezoned so a restaurant could be placed in this area? That's the decision tonight. Um, we, we would love to answer any questions that you might have about any of this. Um, obviously, we've tried to do our homework. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you. All right, now I'm gonna bring this back to uh, the commission uh, for discussion, um, but I do want to reiterate a couple points that were made that this is a zoning decision before us tonight. Uh, so this might, if this is approved, it might not necessarily be a restaurant. I mean, that's not um, the question before us. Um, there are other uses in the IL district or in the CN2 district. Uh, that would could be allowed. So the restaurant question um, would come later. And I would actually ask if Mary Miller could just reiterate um, that particular process um, that would allow consideration of many, many of the uh, points brought up tonight, noise, dumpsters, things like very relevant concerns. Can you reiterate what the process is for addressing that? You mean with the site plan? Yes. So tonight we have the zoning question, um, and so we're not going. We're not, we can't put conditions on a, uh, a hypothetical restaurant. Right. So yeah, can you say what the process would be? Um, with zoning and with a, a use that is permitted with the site plan, we would go through the site plan review process. If members of the public contact us. We keep them in the loop. So we send them the revised plans. We get their comments. They're, they're considered a reviewer like everyone else. And so we work with them. We find out what their concerns are. If the concern is noise, that's for buffering, sound mitigation. You know, we don't set usually, I've never set a condition on a site plan limiting a business hours. 
I don't think that's possible, but Jeff would have to answer that. We've just never done that. We usually try to design the site so that it's suitable at any time of day. You know, grocery stores could be open any time of day. We don't have it where they're so impactful. We have to limit the time. So that's one of the things we look at is trying to make it to where the negative externalities are minimized. And um, dumpsters, if there's a dumpster problem, uh, you know, with considering noise or odors, uh, that could be reviewed. Sometimes the city can pick up trash daily. They've done that for some projects. I don't know that they would at this one, but that's something we could look into. A uh, different location for the dumpster. I can't think of one with the way this site is located. You know, it was more on 9th Street, located closer to 9th Street and away from the residents. That would have to go through our solid waste department. We just want to make sure it's in a place they could pick it up. That would give it some distance, but it would um, it'll be on the alley that people use. But the process is to review all these items. And there's a lot of weight behind the public input because everyone knows that site plans can be appealed to the city commission. And since 2006, we've had maybe three that have been appealed because we have been able to work with neighbors and applicants are very interested in working with neighbors. So we've usually been able to get features that address their concerns or they've reduced the scope of their plans. There's been some changes made, so we seldom have to take them to the city commission. But we have had to take a few and those get resolved. So there's, there's power behind the uh, steps. Yeah, thank you. And to, to further clarify, so this is that's something that will happen with the site planning. So there is no, um, in either of these zoning, IL or CN2, um, there is no uh, conditional use permit or special use permit or anything else that would, um, those conditions you're talking about and those considerations would happen during the site planning process. For this use, there yes. are some uses yes. that require special use permits, and in those, you know, you could add all those conditions. But a restaurant is seen as just a permitted use. We see permitted use. And it's allowed in the aisle okay. as well, the same way. Thank you. All right, who would like to um, open the discussion for this item? I know people have comments. A lot, Can I, a lot here. Uh, Commissioner Rexard, would you like to start off? Yeah. So let me just mm -hmm. pick on um, mm -hmm. kind of a kind of a specific question for the applicant. Can you talk a little bit more about um, how you envision parking would work there? Well, we have a lease for the property across the street. Um, that lot on its own probably has enough space during peak restaurant hours because it's used primarily for office space. Um, there is street parking up and down Pennsylvania Street. Um, the redevelopment zone plan calls for more street parking in that area. Um, there's five on-street parking spaces, um, but right now it's sort of, it's, it's that one lot at 9th and Delaware, plus everything else that's available uh, for public use in that district. And that, that actually includes quite a few um, off-street lots. Okay. Another question, different subject. Um, how important was the presence of Charlie's East Side in your decision to choose this location? There's a lot of concern about and some statements that, hey, we can, that could be torn down. It could be, be torn down any time by anyone, I suppose. But in this particular case, did you choose this location because that building is there? I think Brad ought to answer that. Yes, the, 
the buildings is the, the, the main reason why I picked the spot. I mean, it, it's iconic structure. Um, there's been talk about tearing it down. That's never, never been discussed. That would, that's one thousand percent not going to happen. I don't want the property if I can't have that building. Just how it looks. So, uh, you know, and I've I've known Charlie for a long time. Um, I know it means a lot to him to have that building preserved. I mean, I want to keep the name Charlie's. I want to, you know, respect their family. We took, I mean, you know, we had, they are very attached to it, and I and I appreciate that. And I want to make sure that that they are always part of the building. You know, with their family name, and um, yeah. I'll I'll do a nice job of honoring the history of the building on the inside. One more question for you guys, if I could. Another another topic. Um, there's a, a large list of. Um, of restricted uses um, that are a part of this plan to downzone from IG to IL, which already, you know, limits things quite a bit. Are there anything in that restricted loose, restricted use list that poses a problem for you and your plans? I prefer that. To, yeah, I mean, yeah. the one thing that we saw was small event. Um, there's been a couple of concepts that have been floated around town for like a, a tea room sort of thing where you could have. Uh, unnecessarily prepared food on site um, and small event is described in the code as something below 300 people obviously you'd be limited by occupancy but that was the one that I talked to Mary about but um, she's pretty thoroughly kind of read through them um, I think all of those unless you have specific questions uh, Commissioner Rex Road I think all of them you know don't make a lot of sense at that particular site so we were okay excluding them okay. except for small event thank you I have actually a question for Mary. Uh, is there a difference in the square footage allowed between IL and CN2? Would there? there? For some uses, there are, but not for a restaurant. The restaurant is just allowed in CN2 with no standards, you know, no size limitations or any other site specific standards. So, yeah, had there been, we would have just applied that to this district as well. And Thank you. The center is allowed in CN2, but with a special event or special use permit. And so we just didn't add that. And if it was important, that could always be added to the list of permitted users with a special use permit. Thank you. I've had a number of comments and questions. Anybody else having? Comments or questions on this project? Um, I'll go ahead and ask a, another one. Uh, in terms of, it seems like the CN2 district, so I'm trying to get at the decision between IL and CN2, um, both of which are options. Um, so it seems like one of the main criteria for moving to IL instead of CN2 was a distance to another commercial area. Can you explain, Mary, this the, where the one mile distance came from and why that was so critical in, in selecting IL? In 20-903 of the Land Development Code, it tells the locational intentions for this CN2 district. So they're not standards or requirements, but they're intentions. And I don't know why this was established, why it was thought that a neighborhood commercial center should be a mile from another one. You know, I don't know when they developed the 2006 code, but where I found it was just in the code. So I can't say why they thought it was necessary to separate them by a mile. 
but I think it was so that they would actually be serving different neighborhoods and a mile must have been seen as the appropriate distance between neighborhoods. It'd be a half a mile travel to get to one if they were every mile. But I can't say for sure that that's why it was created with a one mile distance. Okay. If I can just add to, to Mary's item there, I think if I remember this correctly, and this is late hour and reaching way back, there was a provision in Horizon 2020's language that carried that one mile guidance forward because they didn't want strip commercials starting to occur at long intervals. And so that was while there was the spacing interval included as part of Horizon 2020 that made its way into the land development code to have commercial nodes, not necessarily uh, strip commercial development like you see along 31st or uh, 6th Street in places. And I, I, I may be jumbling a little bit, but I think that was the intent behind that drive. Okay. Thank you. I'll make a comment and okay. see if that... Mm -hmm. Jim, would yes. you... Oh, go ahead. Or, all right. You don't want me to start. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, you know, I, I'm an... I'm in favor of this zoning change. Just talk about what's in front of us tonight. I'm in favor of this zoning change. Um, the down zoned IL, uh, particularly listening to the neighbors and concerns that they have about the protections of what might go on around them. Um, um, I like that, that we're maintaining some industrially zoned ground because once it's gone, it never comes back, or it's difficult to anyway. Um, but I also like the idea that it provides quite a bit of inherent flexibility in what might be there. So if for whatever reason this project didn't go forward, IL provides opportunities for um, other types of uses that, as the neighbors have said, almost to a person uh, is desirable in that neighborhood. And to go all the way towards residential as an example would limit the opportunity for that um, additional mixed use. Um, I also, I'll just, I'll just put it out there. I, I, uh, I also have a, an appreciation for that old building. Have my own memories there, and heard consistently from the neighbors that um, that was something that was important. Um, we have before us now you know, an applicant that's saying, without question, their goal is to preserve it. Um, and I find myself hoping for an opportunity for this process to go forward to let, the, let this project develop with all the feedback from the neighbors to get to a great project. And just lastly, I want to, I want to comment on something that uh, Mr. Dever had said um, uh, about having been there when this area was being developed and including the house right next door, which gosh, it approaches the magnitude, what was developed and built on the back of that house approaches the magnitude of what we're talking about in this, in this uh, um, project. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of nervousness about that, um, but the process in the city and the structure around guiding it through a public process to get to a conclusion has left us with a remarkable area. Um, and I, so I guess for those reasons, I, I'm less concerned about going forward with a, uh, a, a change in zoning, knowing that we have multiple steps yet to go to make sure that we've, we've heard and incorporated feedback from the neighbors. I have a question. Yes, Commissioner Munch. Yeah, this is all up for, for Mary. So I just want to confirm my understanding of, of the site plan process in, in that that's that's really just that process is to speak to restrictions within 
requir requirements with respect to the actual physical site. Is, is that correct? You, you had, had mentioned that you, you don't usually set hours for an operation in the course of that process. Is that because that's just atypical or is it because it's impossible to do in during that process? I don't know if it's possible. I know that we don't typically, because like you said, we're looking at the site. We're looking at the landscaping of the commercial design guidelines or industrial, depending upon the use and um, the, the building, the layout, and you know, the use itself. But as far as these others, they usually require special use permits. That way we can look at how much noise are you making, you know, how much music do you have at what time of day. That's We don't look at that in the site planning as a rule. Right. And as you mentioned, a special use permit wouldn't be required here. So there really wouldn't be an opportunity to impose any kinds of um, hours restrictions or noise restrictions with respect to any business that might be located at the site in the future. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Unless if Jeff feels differently, but I believe that's the case. I would agree with Mary on that one. It, it, you know, those kind of conditions about hours of operations and the performance of the sites are typically done with special use permits because there's extraordinary issues there that rise up and the code identifies that as being a requirement for a permitted use. You don't, you don't typically tend to see that. I, you will share, I've seen other instances where uh, people have chose to put covenants or other restrictions on properties willfully uh, in those instances to kind of, you know, show good faith or interest in doing so, but that's not something that the code compels as part of a process. Commissioner Munch, do you have a follow-up or are you? No. Okay. No. That's helpful. Yeah. Appreciate the additional perspective. Um, I have a question for Mary. Um, did you see anything in the CN2 uh, zoning, uh, any concerns about what would be allowed in a CN2 zoning that would not be allowed in an IL? Um, was there anything, I mean, that anything concerning in that zoning that kind of helped push this recommendation to an IL instead of CN2? No, I made criteria, but when I look at the uses allowed in CN2, I know that the, the CN2 district does allow a bar, and there's been a lot of talk in this area about bars. A restaurant cannot have more than 45% sale of alcohol, so we don't need that condition on that. <clears throat> but the CN2 does allow a bar up to 3,000 square feet. Anything bigger than that takes a special use permit, and that may be one use, but considering the proximity of residences perhaps isn't appropriate in this location. But other than that, I didn't find any uses that I, I felt would be an issue. Thank you. I have a question. Yes. So, so Mary, what recourse would uh, the neighbors have if the restaurant opened and it was really loud and smelly and, um, you know, and, the, and it went really late? Like, what, what could the public do about that? What? Um, well, we have property maintenance regulations. So if it's smelly, you know, or dirty or a lot of trash, uh, the development services, we have uh, what's called the code compliance officers. They would visit, you know, they have the power to visit with the people and try to bring them into compliance with our property management regulations. Uh, they can take them to court if need be. And um, if they just, so that means if they're noisy, if they're loud, um, that again can go, usually that goes to the police department because we have a noise ordinance in the city of Lawrence. 
So if it's very loud, um, the best option would be to call the police. You can always call development services. They would probably refer it over to the police department. And um, light trespass is something someone mentioned. That is something we review very closely with our site plans. We don't allow light trespass on the residential properties. I think it's 0.1 or 0.2 foot candles. Full cutoff lighting fixtures are required for pole mounted lights. So we have pretty strict lighting standards. So we review those and seldom do we have trouble with um, light trespass unless someone's not complying with the, the lighting standards in the site plan. And, and if they aren't, development services, again, can uh, work with them on compliance. Yeah. Thank you. OK. Commissioner Carpenter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how we got to this point. I mean, we have this little finger of light industrial with residential on two sides. And, you know, we rezoned this whole area to use. So I guess that's one point. This is not a mixed use area. We have a mixed use zoning category, and that's not what we have. East Lawrence has been zoned to the current uses because it is such a hodgepodge. That doesn't mean it's mixed use. It means that's what we have here. And somehow, I'm going to assume that the non-conforming use status was lost prior to us doing the rezoning to use, right. which is why we didn't get this as a more acceptable zoning parcel. Because if it was still operating as a bar or a restaurant, I assume we wouldn't have called it light industrial. In nonconformity of the situation would not have affected the zoning. The zoning would have led into the nonconformity. So it would have been a non and I'm reaching back a little bit here. I hope I'm getting this right in order here. It was a bar prior to the development or to the adoption of the land development code. So it was a nonconforming use when the zoning code was adopted in 2006. When the use ceased, that's when the nonconformity fell out. The zoning has not, to my knowledge, changed since the adoption of the land development code. But we had the opportunity for all these zonings to change when we zoned this entire area to the current use. And this one didn't change. So I'm, I'm trying just to establish the timeline here a little bit. Because we had nonconforming uses that now have the proper zoning category when we did this whole area. I don't remember if this was in the scope of that area, and Becky will correct me if I'm wrong, since I believe she worked on that item, but it was also at the owner's discretion if they wanted to participate in that, that process to rezone. So they may have elected to not go through with that process, but it also may have been outside the area. I just don't have that off the top of my head. Okay. Another thing we haven't really addressed is the East Lawrence neighborhood plan. Um, so under the current plan, and maybe I'm looking to... Marcy or Phil or Barry, anybody that can tell me what is listed in the current East Lawrence neighborhood plan for this parcel? How, how it have you, how has the neighborhood identified the use for this? And then segue into the fact that we're currently, planning office is currently helping you update your plan. Have there been any discussions about this parcel yet? They've asked what kind of could you come up? <laughs> yeah. Could you come up to the 
podium, please? That way we can all hear you and those folks online can hear you. Uh, Phil Collison and mm -hmm. uh, neighbor. Uh, Really, there hasn't been any discussion about any specific lots that I'm aware of. I've been on uh, one tour and, uh, you know, we, w what kind of fencing would you like and how big would you like the buildings to be would, is kind of it. And there hasn't been any sense of the history of the neighborhood or what has, what, what has been in the revitalization plan that was adopted in 1978 or 1980 and and then the updated version in 2001 and it it i i have a hard time seeing what direction that project is going uh, we're not talking about individual uses in specific areas that i'm aware of barry do you have anything you can add to that uh barry shalinski so far, the work with the planning staff has been pretty generic. We have really talked more about principles than, um, you know, this particular parcel should be used in this or that manner. Um, and I think really even the current iteration of the plan deals more with um, principles than it does with designating um, any particular plot of land for any purpose. But in terms of principles, I think, you know, your statement of concern is, is well taken that, um, you know, to have one little sliver of light industrial on a 50-foot lot um, and a block of residential uh, to the south and, um, you know, to the west and then commercial to the north with mixed use with apartments and stuff. It, it really is kind of an outlier. Um, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just you know, it, it's a hard situation to deal with. Thanks. Yeah, it's what we have to work with, which is forced us into conditional zoning, which <laughs> is it carries its own issues with it. And I understand we couldn't look, go to CN2 because of the distance requirement, which is the same thing we've been seeing with the West Hills Business Park over and over and over again, and doing conditional zoning there. Um, so this is, you know, within the criteria that we've established for doing the conditional zoning. I'm not thrilled that it's going to IL. I mean, I'm, but. That's the request tonight. We can't substitute anything else for that. And I think there was it, Mr. Washington, did you have a response directly to the question that Commissioner Carpenter asked about the plan for that parcel, his specific question? About what the neighbor what the neighborhood plan showed? Do you have yeah, I mean, I pulled it up and we did consult it in this mm -hmm. uh, application. Charlie's Bar is identified as a as a cultural landmark and it and it it's on page nine of the 2002 plan and it, and it specifically has a map with a dot over his property and it's labeled Charlie's Bar. These are visual neighborhood reference map and there's about 20, 34 of them. 
Um, so it's called out specifically within the plan, and, and part of the plan is to preserve culturally iconic, or I'm not using the language right, but to preserve the, the visual perception of the neighborhood. Right. So I, I think it is referenced, but not in the ways, same ways that, that the plan is. But also say that, you know, in response to your, your commentary, that we have to keep in mind that this is part of 9th Street. Uh, 9th Street has had a range of uses for a long time. I mean, Mike Deaver knows this because he studied these properties, but the industrial zoning in this part of the area, in this part of town, and I've done a lot of rezonings over there, uh, it was very intensively used yeah, all the way through I, the 19th I've been century. here for a lot of those. Right, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. No, don't go away. I'm, I'm just you know, curious because we have, you know, we've identified Charlie's Bar as a cultural, I mean, are we identifying the structure or are we identifying the structure just by the name? which was a non-conforming use. So, I mean, it's, it gets a little bit wonky when you try to, you know, parse this all out under the codes that we're working with, just exactly what we are talking about, how we got this odd parcel, and how we're forced into a position with this request tonight to decide whether or not to go with a conditional zoning. So it's, you know, this is like all the years I've been up here condensed into one, one application. So, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling a little bit because we can't put conditions on it like we would if we were trying to do a special use permit. We're just opening it up to potential land uses and we don't know what that might actually end up being. Now we have assurances we have one person that wants to do what we're what's being presented here tonight but that's that's personal business things that's not land use and we're just trying to get to what's the appropriate land use for here and what could happen down the road if this falls through or if this property is lost to a tax sale or whatever um so i'm i'm struggling a little bit just trying to wrap my head around just what we're being asked to accomplish because it's not about building a particular type of restaurant here. We're talking about land use. So, we studied this for a long time with staff. I mean, we did have a, a thorough pre-application meeting. We, we vetted these things. I see CN2 and IL as six one way and a half dozen the other. We're, we're constrained on the uses that would be approved on either one. If it was my preference, I would avoid CN2. If you just read the definition of CN2, it doesn't seem appropriate to put it in a neighborhood. CN2 is reserved for a large-scale, nodal neighborhood resident or neighborhood commercial. Um, and it just doesn't seem like it makes as good of a fit as IL. Are they perfect? No. I mean, we don't. I mean, it's it's really frustrating for people that don't go through this process to buy a bar and have to rezone uh, from from whatever you know supposed use the city has applied to it um so i think we feel your frustration we've been through this we think il is fine well let me ask you this you've been doing this quite a while with land use in a perfect world what would be an appropriate zoning category for this lot not that we can do it tonight but what would be appropriate commercial strip everything else in that district has gone to commercial strip um bonbon cider gallery all the even, I think even, I think we just rezoned Quonset Hut into Commercial Strip, um, which was IL before. Um, 
you can't do commercial strip because it's not used to add to a district, it's used to square off a district. So we, we're just trying to comply with the definitions. But again, with IL and limited usage on IL, it's the same thing. You know, look at the uses that we would be allowed to have, and Mary's done a really thorough job of identifying. Um, it's the same thing as CN2. It's the same thing that we'd get with commercial strip. Um, we're just confined to whatever is left of IL after you get rid of the industrial. All right, thanks. So, Jeff, one thing we can do is add or subtract uses in the conditional zoning. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. That's it for now. <laughs> So just to reiterate, one of the things that we can for one, this is a, a, the land use decision before us is a zoning change. It doesn't necessarily mean um, a restaurant will follow. Um, but as Commissioner Carpenter did point out, we can add or subtract certain uses within that zoning. Or recommend that. Re recommend, the, yes. Is there something so Obviously, specific? that would be page four on the report is the list of and good uses. 17 to see the comparison. Yeah. Too. Commissioner Carpenter, is there something specific you had in mind in that? No. no, I'm just clarifying what our options are since we've been talking about okay. a different kind of conditions. I mean, there's a difference between conditional zoning and, and imposing conditions on the zoning. So <clears throat> the, real, the real crux of that difference is what you're highlighting is mm -hmm. a special use allows you to apply conditions to a specific use. Mm -hmm. Conditional zoning is more about the, the land use underneath of it all, not so much about a use in general, or excuse me, a use in specific. Any other commissioners wish to speak on this? Any other comments on this issue? Clarifying points, differences between ILCN to the process. No. Sure. Why don't you go ahead and just? I don't know. Explain if it could be residential. I mean, there is a lot of value in those residences. It's not as if you wouldn't sell it for money. I just want to understand why it's not residential and if that's an option for us to bring or I just want to understand yeah, that. Yeah, it's certainly not an option we can consider tonight. Okay. Um, unfortunately, but um, maybe Mary could just speak a little bit to um, those, the particulars for those two zoning uses, uh, zoning categories. categories being brought up before us, IL and CN2. And just those two. I think but commercial strip was mentioned what the limitations were on that. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not sure exactly what, what you were asking. I'm sorry. Just into, you brought a forward um, in this uh, proposal uh, a change in zoning to from IG to IL or CN2. Mm -hmm. um, there are other zoning categories that were not considered. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, the code allows the planning commission to, if it's in the lesser change table, then it's considered 
almost the same, just less intense. And so the planning commission could switch the zoning at the meeting. You don't have to re-notify neighbors. You don't have to have a new meeting. So at this meeting, you could switch it to IBP, which it's not large enough for, or C and two, and then it could go straight to the city commission. If the idea was that the, um, if they can't recommend residential rezoning, the only way residential rezoning could happen is if it was denied and then the property owner decided they wanted to develop it residentially, and then they could submit an application for rezoning for residential. And CS also was not allowed in that lesser use table. So as they noted, CS, you just can't rezone to that for our code unless you're squaring off the district. Thank you, Mary. So I have a question. Um, so this can be used as a work live unit. What is that as compared to residentials, right? So currently it cannot be, but if it goes to IL or to CN2, um, CN2, right? It can be a work live unit. I'm just trying to figure out if somebody wanted to live there and they wanted to be residential, is that allowed under the IL? Because you can have a mobile home, you can have a multi-dwelling structure, you can have a work-live unit. Like, what are what are we talking about? Work There's several work-live units, two in the eight to 10 districts in the north. Some artists have studios. Can you hear me? Some uh, yeah. Have, some artists have studios and they also live in the building. There is a wine, a wine institute or some sort of wine education center where they have wine tastings and uh, it, it's a limited kind of a bar use. Uh, they live in that facility. You can have a restaurant, you can have a grocery store. It just means that you can live. The requirements are that you have to be able to access your living quarters from the working area. So it is a work live unit. You're not having to go outside and circle around to come back into it. So you're an integral part of the overall project. So there has to be some kind of industrial there, but could include um, living. It can't be just any industrial or commercial, any use that's allowed in the district. Okay. The, the key with the work live unit is the dwelling unit is accessory to the work. So if there's not a work component, the dwelling unit is not enabled. Gotcha. So it's that's kind of in that phrasing, work first, then live, kind of helps out. Yeah, thank you. So. I'm just curious about this because really right now the way that it is the industrial use is like really rough stuff in this neighborhood and we're taking and talking about using other things that are actually more beneficial to a residential neighborhood or area or at least more friendly um, in a mixed use kind of our residential kind of situation. That's the intent. I mean, right? I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this because as it is right now, I mean, they could they could take it back to putting gas and, and things in it, yeah. correct? Probably not because there are other regulations. I mean, but under the zoning code, they might be able to, but when you get into fire codes and everything else, you may not be able to do most of those uses. So it's not as simple as... It, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different factors that feed into it, but with the base zoning district, the property has now is general industrial. All the uses that are permitted or a special use under the general industrial district are on the table and available to the owner currently. And it's the second step, the process that would figure out whether or not that would be um, allowed, which is basically what would happen here too. There's a second step to say whether or not it can do whatever's proposed under an IL. Correct. It would be site planning, building permits, and other reviews that would be required, and uh, 
in the case of gas tanks, there's a lot of state reviews that occur. Uh, so it just depends on what the use ultimately ends up being. But it would be through site planning and building permitting that a lot of those checks would occur. Right. And those checks would occur if a restaurant were to be proposed or something under an IL. Correct. It would go no matter what was going in. We'd still be looking at site planning and building permits for for almost all imaginable uses, I suspect. Other questions and comments from the commissioners? I'm just going to add that before we had the current rules for um, conditional zoning, what's being requested here is something that happened in several areas in East Lawrence to go from general industrial to light industrial, the decade coffee shop, the um, Oh gosh, what is it, 12th and Haskell, which used to be a junkyard, has conditional zoning. There's a couple of others throughout there. It was like East Lawrence led the way in one type of conditional zoning. And this is pretty much what that is. And like just about every other project, the devil's going to be in the details of the site planning and what's ultimately what they want to put there. And while I think it's a good idea to go, get away from the general industrial, I just I have I just have trouble getting over the hump to say let's go here now and see what happens. But uh, but that might end up with a split vote here, and we'll see what the city commission. Yeah, how they weigh in on all this. Yeah, I, I think about you know this. This is a down zone from where they are, and to your point, provides protections that aren't there today. Um, uh, there's argument whether or not it should go all the way to residential, but that's not what's before us tonight. Um, um, it does provide significant protections over what's there, though. Um, I still am a fan of, of maintaining an industrial zoning. I know that it's odd in this particular spot. I get that. Um, but there are, there are things you can do there that you can't do in other, in other um, zoning categories. Um, and we've got, you know, I find myself wondering, you know, what, what would happen if we said no to this, if this didn't go through, this, this, this building that's been sitting up there that's just deteriorating. It's just going to fall apart unless something happens. And I, I don't remember how many years they said it's been, but it's been quite a while that it's been for sale. I love the idea that maybe some other use would, uh, would uh, be great there, but that's not been brought um, for, for years. But this one has, and it's been brought by someone who's got a track record of doing the very kind of work to preserve old structures, historic structures that we're talking about here, and doing it in a, in a, in a way that benefits the area. So I, I, I'm in favor of letting this go forward to the next step. And if the commission's, unless there's more debate, I'd be happy to make a motion. I think I would just like to say that I'm in favor, I think, for the for a lot of the same reasons. And I'm concerned about what will happen with the property if nothing. Like, this is a very awkward spot to be in, but it it is a property that would be probably better to have something positive um, in the neighborhood. Obviously, lots of other stuff to um, figure out about that. Um, I do have one question that's probably a very stupid question, but 
so who has standing to do, Patrick, this might be for you, who has standing to change the zoning? Um, so the neighborhood is talking about they'd love to see it residential, right? But I mean, I'm assuming it's the owner. There has to be some kind of ownership, right, involved in that. And so to switch the, we can't just switch this to residential unless the owner um, um, wants that done. And I just wanted to clarify that because if residential was an option, I might feel a little different, right? But I'm just trying to figure out what the process for that would be. So typically a rezoning is brought forward by an owner. However, the code does allow instances where a map amendment, a technical phrase for rezoning, can be initiated by the city commission, the planning commission, or to an urban conservation district by the historic resources commission. And then that would be, you know, they would have a protest petition, but the owners could protest that and bring that forward too. So there are different avenues for rezonings to start, but the most typical one is brought forward by, by an owner. This brings Arctic Deputy City Attorney, and there are also considerations if it is down zoned uh, unilaterally by the city, where it might result in a taking of the property or taking of some value. There may be some value that's greater for one use if it's down zoned to something else, and then the city may be liable and there may be a taking issue. So that's something that we're always aware of. I'm not aware of the city having done any. Uh, rezonings other than the East Lawrence project, but we did that all in agreement and in cooperation with the owners of the East Lawrence. This is the same one that Commissioner Carpenter was talking about earlier. That's the only one I'm aware of where the city initiated it, but even when we initiated it, we worked with the owners of the property. Um, I know I'm gonna focus on the zoning issue here and the change in land use um, and prefer the down zoning. Uh, go with the staff recommendation for IL um, based on based on the, the what's been laid for us in, forward in the staff report. Um, the idea that all the conditions and the concerns with the restaurant will come um, with the next step um, that is not um, our purview tonight. So I'm going to focus on the land use zoning, and um, I agree with the down zoning to allow some flexibility for what can happen to the site, restaurant or otherwise. Other comments? Should we call for a motion? Happy to make a motion. I'll move that we approve the request to rezone Z-22-00247, approximately 0.13 acres at 900 Pennsylvania Street from IG to IL District with restrictions, and forward the request of the City Commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the use restrictions listed in the staff report. Do I have a second? Commissioner Payton? Any further discussion? Seeing none, and we have the vote, please. Call for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? No. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexroth? Yes. Motion passes six to two. Okay, that concludes our business for the evening. Um, do we have any uh, miscellaneous new or old business? 
um, to come before the commission. Just wanted to remind the commissioners that our um, planning commission orientation is scheduled for Friday, October 21st. So that will happen before our next planning commission uh, meeting in October. Thank you. Is it, is and it here? It's, it'll be at, um, in the city in our planning and development services uh, department over at uh, City Hall Riverfront. All right, now can I have a move to adjourn? So moved. Second. I'll second. second. Okay, Commissioner Baroda, um, call for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroda? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you all, and thank you all. Um, for members of the public who came, stood through, went through, it was a very long night. Thank you very much for your thoughtful comments. And, um, and please do um, keep in touch with the process. As you very well know, you are all very well versed in that, um, keeping with the process. So thank you for being here. It means you're doing it right. It's easy.